on air for Fan for Racing NASCAR Weekend Preview of Phoenix. This is uh, Thursday night, November the 7th, and joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. Got a big, big weekend up uh, coming up here at ISM Raceway this weekend. Got a lot to cover, that's for sure. Yes, indeed. Uh, we're going to uh, hit maybe a couple of headlines here in the Arkham and Art Series and the Canon Pro Series East. Uh, then we're going to get into the preview of the uh, Canon Pro Series West at Phoenix this weekend, ISM Raceway. This is their season finale, and they will crown their champion at Phoenix this weekend. So it is a big weekend there. Uh, joining us during this first half hour will be Davey Segal, who is the uh, Canon Pro Series uh, reporter, and uh, he is uh, always posting some great articles over at NASCAR Home Tracks uh, to keep everybody up to date with what to expect in both of those uh, series, the Canon Pro Series East and West. So... Uh, we're looking forward to chatting with him for a few minutes. I know he has a limited amount of time, so we'll try to make it uh, short uh, and sweet, if you will. Okay, then at 9 o'clock we'll get into our Gander Outdoor Truck Series Elimination Race at Phoenix. Uh, 9.20 we'll do the Xfinity Series Preview, uh, also an Elimination Race. And at 9.40 it is the Cup Series with another Elimination Race. Uh, at Phoenix this weekend. 10 o'clock, of course, is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, and uh, Andy will join us at that time, and I'm sure we'll have a few things to talk about during that half hour. So, uh, big night here at Fan for Racing Radio. It is, and you mentioned it, one championship to be determined, and then three of the elimination races on the top three national touring series to determine who goes to Homestead, Miami, to battle for that championship. So it's going to be a real exciting weekend, uh, be on pins and needles from Friday onward. Okay, just to give a few updates here, uh, the Arkham and Art Series East did put out their 2020 schedule uh, this week, so that's pretty cool if fans are looking for that. It is available at, Ar- at ArcaRacing.com. And uh, in addition to the East schedule, they've also given us the ARCA showdown schedule, uh, the 10 races where the East and the West can meet together, and as well as the ARCA Menard Series and race those races. Uh, so that's going to be pretty cool uh, to see the new format for the next season. And uh, uh, if fans want to see those schedules, again, you can find them at ARCAracing.com uh, and uh get up to date. I know I've already started marking my calendar, Jay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't actually put them on the calendar, but there were definitely some that I was taking note of for sure um, as the season plays out. And I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit when Andy comes on as part of Hot Topics. Uh, as far as how the schedule lays out, some of the tracks that are on there, some that aren't, and how it plays in with the uh, showdown races that, that you mentioned. Yes, it's it's uh, really kind of cool. Matt, uh, ARCA will have their usual 20-race season. Uh, ten of those races include the showdown races where the East and the West, ARCA Menard Series, can join in and race those races as well as part of a showdown championship. So they'll have their individual championships. There will be a seven-race schedule, and then they'll have their uh, showdown schedule, 
for another championship, and then the Arkham Menard Series will have their own championship. So pretty interesting format for 2020. I think it's going to be uh, – we'll have to see how it plays out, but on the surface it sounds like it's going to run pretty well. Uh, also, Chad Bryant Racing has announced two entries for the K&N Pro Series West Finale. I know Ty Majeski is one of those drivers. Yeah, it's really cool to see that. We've talked about the uh, West teams coming over to the East side a couple of times, uh, looking at the entry list there for the K&N West that we'll get to, uh, 25 teams registered. Um, so it's going to be a huge race for for them as their season finale and championship. But to see Chad Bryant bringing two teams, uh, I really like that. I believe Corey Heim is going to be in the other car. Yes, that is correct. It's Corey Heim and uh, Ty Majeski that will be racing this weekend. Uh, so working with Majeski is Paul Andrews in the number two car, and then Chad Bryant will be guiding uh, Corey Heim in that number 22 uh, Ford Fusion for the weekend. So uh, a lot to look forward to there. Uh, and and uh, we're already seeing a lot of uh, merging, if you will, between the, the two series. You know, I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. I mean, that could be the start of it, like you mentioned, that that, that the beginning of that immersion um, between the two. So uh, I know it's going to be just a huge weekend for them as well in the K&N West. Or last time we'll call it the K&N West Series, uh, as it will be the Arkham Nard Series next year as part of the full uh, con- um, joining of the Arkham Nards banner. Yes, and... and uh... Uh, as you mentioned earlier, there are 25 people on that entry list. <laughs> so this is uh, definitely going to be uh, kind of amazing uh, to see 25 cars on the on the track at this one-mile track at Phoenix. And uh, it's going to make it very interesting because some of these drivers could be spoilers. And we'll get into that when we do the review here in just a few minutes. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that we mentioned that uh, the schedules are out there. If people are like me and they're already getting their 2020 calendar, uh, it, you know, everything marked into the calendar, uh, you'll want to go there and get that and uh, print it out so that you have it for the 2020 season. Uh, I like that they're getting the schedules out early this year and and giving us a chance to plan early. It is, and I know they put a lot of work into that. You know, when they first made that announcement, that was kind of what what it all hinged on was how it was going to play out. So you're right, they did come out with it uh, pretty early. I know we're still waiting on the west side itself, um, but I expect that to come follow here shortly in the next week or two. Yes, uh, indeed, that should that should follow shortly. Uh, we'll keep our eyes out for that and let fans know when that does come be, become available uh, so that you can get it printed and into your books for, for the 2020 calendar. Uh, but this is um, uh, a, a lot of really good news in the uh, Arkham Menard series. Uh, also, it's pretty exciting. You mentioned it the other day. You were worried that Five Flags Speedway was not on the schedule. Well, now it is. It's part of the K&N Pro Series East. Uh, it'll be their second race. in. in uh, they'll start at New Smyrna Speedway uh, in February, and then they'll move on to Five Flags Speedway in March. So that's good news. 
It is, and again, I kind of got that gut feeling, again, not being involved in that in any way, shape, or form, but just knowing the deal that ARCA had put together and what their plans were. Obviously, NASCAR buying in and this uh, combining of the three series changed that up a little, but I, I really did kind of anticipate that there was going to be some type of compensation, if you will. It wasn't going to be the ARCA top ARCA Menard series, but that the East would get one um, or something to that effect. So uh, that's great well, news well, for Five Flag Speedway. Get- Right, that they would get the Five Flag Speedway uh, on the schedule. And joining us now is our guest. Uh, he's uh, This is Davey Siegel. He is the K&N Pro Series reporter and posts all, all of the articles that are up at the NASCAR Home Tracks website. And, Davey, first of all, welcome to the show. We're glad you were able to take some time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I know you guys do a lot of really good work throughout the year. It's actually my first time on the show, so honored to be with you. Thank you for squeezing me in for a little bit. Well, we really appreciate it. And, and Davey, uh, one of the big questions, you know, we've got the Canon Pro Series West. This is the season finale, the last time we're going to be calling these races the Canon Pro Series. Uh, yeah. And uh, it, it's going to be huge out at uh, Phoenix, and we'll get into that. But I want to know what's going to happen with you. Are you, you going to be uh, also posting what's happening under the new Arkham Menards banner? That's a great question. Uh, I'm not sure about my plans for next season entirely yet. I, I'm pretty sure, and hopefully I'll be able to come back with uh, the NASCAR Home Tracks people and do some coverage with the newly rebranded Arkham Menard Series East, Arkham Menard Series West, Arkham Menard Series Regular, Arkham Showdown, all that different <laughs> stuff. But I know it's getting late in the going. It's kind of like silly season for the drivers. It's kind of winding down, but also ramping up late in the game. But it's also like that for some uh, young media folk, I guess, too, and I'm one of them. So stay tuned on that. But uh, you can be sure I will definitely, definitely, definitely be at the racetrack a lot next season, and I will definitely be at some Arkham Menard Series races for sure. Just don't know how many, where, when, or what yet. Okay, well, keep us stay in touch with us and keep us posted on that. We'll watch for news coming from your end. Okay, now let's get into the Arkham Menards. I'm sorry, the Canon Pro Series West <laughs> and their season finale that's going to be out at uh, Phoenix uh, ISM Raceway. This is a huge field. There's 25 cars on the entry list. Uh, I've got a feeling there could be some spoilers this weekend. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. I think I don't have them in front of me, but I think uh, the only other entry list that rivals this one in terms of car count was Sonoma earlier in the year, and we always see a large car count at Sonoma because it's a Cup Companion weekend. But this weekend, not only is it a Cup Companion weekend, but also we got the Xfinity Series there and the Gander Outdoors trucks there. And speaking of the truck series, Ty Majeski is making his National Series debut in the truck for Nice Motorsports. Yeah. He's also making his K&M debut for Chad Bryant Racing, and he's had some some success this season with the Arkham Menard Series with Chad Bryant Racing. They've won three times in six starts, so batting 500 on that side of things, but they're going to be making their debut this weekend as well as a pairing. But I think still all eyes are going to be on the 16 of Derek Krause. Obviously, as soon as he flips that switch and engines are fired and takes that green flag, the championship will officially become his it'll be bill mcanally racing ninth championship i believe either ninth or tenth i forget uh point is they've been the class of the field all season long we knew that coming in and i actually asked Derek too on the instagram live that we did on nascar home tracks last night 
you know, you were the favorite coming into the year. You've been in the series for a couple of years. You've had all the pressure on you, and you delivered after all of that. So how did you do it? And he basically said, we didn't really change anything. You know, we done we did what we have done for the past couple of years at Bill McAnally Racing. He was with the 19 camp this year moving over to the 16, but they just did what they've done pretty much for the past couple of years, and that's go to the racetrack, unload very quickly, run fast throughout the entirety of the weekend, and win races. So my eyes, even though there are some spoilers that are might be coming into play, most notably Ty Majeski as well as some other people coming over from and at East, you got champion Sam Mayer coming over. You got Drew Dollar for DGR. My eyes are still going to be on the 16 camp, and I'm going to see how they're going to celebrate the championship and if they can do it in style with the win. Yes, indeed. As you mentioned, uh, uh, Derek Krause just has to start the race, and he has the championship in hand. But then there's also the two through four drivers. Those points are very, very tight between those drivers, and a lot could change in that regard. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's been a great race to follow along all season. I'll admit it, I didn't think Trevor Haldeman was going to have as much success as he has so far this season. He has two wins, and when you're up against the behemoths of Bill McAnally Racing, along with the K&M Pro Series East for those two combo races, because it's not really a debate that the East competition, technologically, they're just far further ahead. Uh, they have more financial uh, means at their disposal. So whenever you go against them in a combo race, they're probably going to win out. But Hulson's won those two races, his first coming at Irwindale earlier this season. That was a really, really cool win to be a part of and an emotional one as his dad, Tim Huddleston, runs that place. And then at Evergreen as well, he just dominated that race. So it's going to be a race between Huddleston, Haley Deegan, Derek Krause's teammate, who obviously has won a handful of times this season and is a lightning rod for a lot of people in the series, as well as Jagger Jones, or as I like to call him, Jagger Jones. He got his first one a couple weeks ago back in Roseville, California at All-American Speedway. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be watching that battle as well for the two through four spots in the final standing. Um, I mean, they, they kind of knew a couple of weeks back that the championship was not going to be there as barring any crazy unforeseen circumstances. So they kind of gave up on that fight a little bit ago, and they've just been going for race victories. That's what Jagger has done. That's what Trevor has done a couple races this season already. So gunning for that second spot, it's going to be best in class on Saturday. Yes, indeed, and and they all would love to end their season in that second-place spot, so it's going to be exciting to watch. Uh, and and I, I know I've got another question here from one of our Fan for Racing crew. Uh, they wanted to ask uh, how you got started, Davey, in becoming a NASCAR reporter for the K&N Pro Series. So to make a long story short, like every other kid, I wanted to be a race car driver. <laughs> but realized that that dream was not going to happen because of geographical reasons, financial reasons. I'd like to get a college degree. So um, after, after realizing that at a younger age, I said, all right, well, I don't want to be involved in the sport somehow. How am I going to do it? And my mom said, hey, you're good at writing. You should just try writing about it. So did that for a little bit at a, at a racing site called Turn 4 Racing News, which I don't know if you guys know Jason Schultz. He's hey Jason Schultz on Twitter. Yep. He kind of started that thing, and he's a – couple years younger than me so he was way ahead of the curve always has been i don't know if you know it or not but jason used to be a part of our fan for racing crew here (laughs) oh yeah yeah that that, that's why that's why i knew that there was a tie-in somehow but i mean i wrote wrote for jason for a little bit then i kind of moved on up um i went to michigan state university uh majored in journalism got my degree in my four years there and while i was there i wrote for the student radio station's website about nascar started up coverage there 
started up a podcast there that I now have as my own. It's called Victory Lane um, that you can get wherever you want. It, it's no fan for racing radio by any means, but I think I do a good job. And then um, also during college, I just kind of adopted, you know, being a radio host and being on television and in front of the camera and doing that type of stuff and parlayed it into a couple more opportunities at frontstretch.com and now NASCAR Homestack. So that's kind of the long and short of it is that I just kind of wanted to be involved in the sport somehow. And I guess that media was the, the best avenue for me to do so. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we followed you for a long time. And I remember you writing over at, uh, at uh, Jason's website and, uh, you know, Jason now has moved on to be one of the producers for Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s podcast. He's big time. So, yeah, he's he's gone big time on us. And, and I remember Jason working with us when he was just 15 years old. So uh, it, it's pretty exciting to see people, you know, make that progression. If you were to give someone advice on, on what they need to do, to get into that field, what advice would you give them, Davey? Well, I would say that um, if they're not really exactly sure what they want to do, that's completely fine because a lot of people come to me with that question, which is kind of crazy to think about in the first place. But um, a lot of people are like, well, I don't really know what I want to do if I want to write, be a radio host, or be on camera. And I'm just basically like, it doesn't matter. I mean, just do something and figure out what you don't like. You know, that's part of it, too, figuring out what you do and you don't like. But I would also say just networking is kind of the biggest thing. I mean, I got the home tracks opportunity through just sending emails, asking about internships at certain places. And that led to me meeting people and talking to them and telling them what my ultimate goals are and asking questions and putting faces to names and just doing stuff like that. So I would probably say network is the main thing that would probably get you out ahead of some other people that are trying to make it in the field that are around your age maybe, but also just ask a lot of questions, all the cliches, you know, ask questions, work hard, uh, be kind to people. I mean, I, those are really cliches, but if you do that and, you, and, and you're good at it at the end of the day, I think that'll pretty, get you pretty far. Right. And, and you, you do, I want you to know, you do a really good job at Canon for the Canon Pro Series, and uh, I'm hoping that you will be back under the Arkham Menard Series banner next year for the East and the West, as well as the Showdown and the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, I think that would be fantastic for you. And uh, I love the behind-the-scenes story. I read the story you did on uh, Takuma Koga. And uh, yeah. what a great story to learn more about drivers like that. Well, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. And I know I only see you uh, at a couple races a year, but when it is, it's always one of my favorite trips of the year because, You've always been really nice to me, and you do great work as well. So I appreciate the kind words, um, and I, I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Okay. Well, I know you're uh, at a sporting event, and, and uh, we're not going to keep you up much longer here. Uh, but, Davey, how can people follow you if they want to follow you on social media? Sure. So my Twitter is at Davey Center. That's D-A-V-E-Y and then Center. Instagram is at Davey underscore the man with two N's, because that's my middle name, underscore the number four. And my Facebook page, you can also just search Davey Siegel, and there's a page where I post all, most of my articles, all my videos, and you can also just follow me pretty much anywhere else, LinkedIn, um, whatever. Um, I post pretty much everything on all my social channels, from podcasts to race recap videos that I do at NBC Sports Washington, the coverage at home track, the whole nine yards. So um, would appreciate if you guys gave me a follow. Hopefully you won't be disappointed. 
Oh, without a doubt. Uh, nobody will be disappointed if they follow Davy Siegel. So uh, <laughs> thanks again, Davy. We hope this is the first of uh, more visits somewhere down the road here. We'd love to have you come back, and uh, I hope you enjoy your evening. Absolutely. We'd love to do it again. Thank you guys for having me on. Okay. Take care now. Bye. All right. That is uh, Davy Siegel, and he is the reporter for the Canon Pro Series and uh, has really done a really nice job over there. Uh, I saw him at Chicagoland Speedway, and I asked him at that time, Jay, uh, if he would uh, make an appearance on our show, and he said, sure, give me a call. So uh, I'm glad we were able to work that out before the season ended here. Most certainly, and something something he said there with the the advice to to new ones, um, that's one that you introduced me to, and I believe it was at Chicagoland, um, all those things he mentioned. I mean, he answered any questions I had. He showed me a couple of things. I followed him around when he did a couple of interviews um, to, to learn from him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and it's one of those of what I like to see is somebody that passes that on, you know, and hopefully someday I'll be able to do that as well. But to get that experience from somebody that has gotten to a certain point that they teach that next group that's coming in and has that same hunger. Exactly. So um, uh, it is It is interesting to watch that, as you know, because a lot of these guys, because uh, I'm feeling old all of a sudden. <laughs> I've watched a lot of these guys uh, for the last 10 years that we've been on Vampire Racing. We actually started in 2011 with Sal Segala. He was, he was on listening here as well. Um, and, and over that time, I've watched some of these guys you know, from their mid-teens to now young men that are are actively involved in the sport. Uh, We mentioned Jason Schultz, who's now uh, uh, a producer for Dale Jr.'s podcast, Davis Seagal's at, uh, uh, you know, the Canon Pro Series. And and it's really fun to watch that progression, and uh, it it makes me really happy (laughs) in in a good way. It does, and again, like you mentioned, uh, seeing the the ones, and you can tell the ones that are um, passionate about the sport in and of of itself versus just themselves, if you will. And I'm not going to say any names or anything, but he is one that really is about the sport. And again, like I said, he took time to work with me the couple times I've got to be around him. Uh, I know he always came over and talked talked to you as well. So that's really cool to see. It, it really is, and uh, I, again, we appreciate him taking the time. Now, before we run out of time, though, I want to get back into the Canon Pro Series West um, uh, season finale that's going to be taking place out at Phoenix. Uh, we, he gave us a great overview of what to look for uh, at this race at ISM Raceway in Phoenix, and Derek Krause is the man uh, at Phoenix this weekend, he is leading the series point standings. Uh, all he has to do is start that race, and he's going to uh, earn that championship. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to that because, again, we've been watching Derek Kraus for the last three years at Bill McAnally Racing, and this is going to be his time to shine at ISM Raceway at Phoenix this weekend. Well, and I did message you that as a, as Davey was actually addressing it and answering it. Um, being that this was such a big field, whether or not that still held true that Derek just had to start the race. But he said it was, um, which I think is a good thing. Uh, not that 
that was his whole intent is to just start the race and finish last or whatever. But right. uh, right. as he mentioned, there, there's some big names there, um, not only that run the West, but uh, another one that uh, got overlooked. I know he mentioned Sam Merrick. We talked about Simon Jeske and uh, Corey Heim, yeah. uh, Drew Dollar, but also Ty Gibbs, another one. He's going to be in the n- number 40 uh, Toyota. So there's another uh, bigger name, uh, Zane Smith, also going to be there in the number 17. So uh, it's a good thing, I think, that he doesn't necessarily have to finish in, in the top 10, not to say he won't or <laughs> couldn't go out on, on top of winning that race, but there's definitely some more competition there than usual. Oh, there definitely is. Like you said, we were used to seeing the Canon West come out to the east, uh, but there's a there's a bunch of Canon East guys uh, and uh, also ARCA drivers that are going out to the west for this race. So uh, it's going to be huge. Uh, you've got Riley Earps coming back. Riley Earps is also going to be uh, – he was just announced as the driver – for the number 18 in the Xfinity Series for next season. So it's good to see him. He'll be driving that number 10 car this weekend. Uh, You mentioned Zane Smith. He'll be in the number 17. Sam Mayer will be in the 21. Ty Gibbs in the number 40. Uh, Let's see. Who did I miss here? I know there was another East. Corey Heim. Where's he at? Corey Heim is going to be in the number 22 car uh, this weekend. So... Uh, a lot of drivers uh, coming in for this race at Phoenix, and a lot of that is because they're going to be racing at Phoenix next season. That's right, and uh, I believe it is Matt Crafton that's going to carry that detail for the Arkham Menard Series, um, promoting that truck on his on his camping or, or Gander Outdoor Truck Series uh, truck, promoting that. That I believe, and I believe the race is going to be in March, if I remember correctly. But he will have that on his truck promoting that. Yes, indeed. And uh, uh, I think that's pretty cool. ISM Raceway, yes, they'll be racing there in March 6th. That's a Friday night uh, at ISM Raceway. So, uh, And that will be the first race of the showdown. So that explains why a lot of these East guys are showing up at Phoenix because they know that this is a race that they're going to be competing against one another as one of the sh- the very first showdown race under the Arkham Menard Series banner. So that's huge. Well, there you go. That answers that question of why there is so many, I guess. That makes sense. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, but we've got a lot of other drivers to look at. He mentioned Jagger Jones, uh, also Trevor Huddleston, and Riley, or not Riley, but uh, Haley Deegan. Haley Deegan are the three drivers in those positions, two through four, that are going to be jockeying for that runner-up position for the season uh, based on how they finish at ISM Raceway this weekend. So those are three drivers you definitely want to keep your eye on this weekend. Well, and then you got in fifth and sixth. Talk about another points battle. Brittany Zamora yeah. in fifth and Todd Souza in sixth. They're at 90, uh, 452 and 451, so they're only one point apart. So, again, they have their own points battle that they're going to be uh, keeping an eye on as they go for their, obviously, the win and their best finish. But there is also a points battle there between the two of them. Okay, so who's your favorite to come out on top at ISM this weekend? That man, wow, yeah. Uh, <laughs> should have left more than two minutes here. Um, you know, 
Uh, I, I'm going to go out on a, I want to say a big limb, but it is a little bit of a limb. But having watched him at the All-American 40 or uh, All-American 600, 400, get this right in a minute, at Nashville, I'm going to go with Ty Majeski. Uh, I was heartbroken. I picked him from the start of the race. I said keep an eye on him. Unfortunately, I was keeping an eye on him when his belt broke and the motor let go, but he was up to second place at that point. So I'll say Ty Majeski. Okay, I think that's a very good pick. Uh, I would have picked him if you hadn't. I guess I'm going to go, this is a tough one because there's so many good drivers in this race. Uh, I want to say Derek Krause. I think Derek Krause is going to go out on top and he's going to come home with the victory. Let's say Derek Krause. Okay, I was going to say there are so many, like you said, Sam Mayer, the East champion. I'm sure he'd like to come out to the West and show that, hey, (laughs) when they come head-to-head, that's somebody that they're going to have to compete with. So uh, that would have been my second pick, I guess. There's so many. There's so many I could have picked. But I'm just going to stick with Derek Krause uh, as the uh, champion uh, to also win the race. So we'll see what happens. Uh, It's going to be fun, and this is a preview uh, with 25 drivers, this is almost a preview of that first race in the showdown under the Arkham and Art Series for next season. So uh, definitely tune in for this one. Uh, this race uh, is going to be, let me give you the details there. Uh, give me just a second. I've got to go back. I had it up here, and then I... Okay, yeah, this race is going to take place on Saturday, November the 9th at 4.15 Mountain Time, which is 7.15 Eastern Time. It's a one-mile paved oval, and uh, if fans want to watch this race live, you can do that on fanschoice.tv, and if you want to watch the delayed broadcast, that will be on Thursday, November the 14th at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So uh, definitely tune in for this one. The Arizona Lottery 100 is uh, sure to be a fascinating race. I can't wait to see what happens. It most certainly is, that's for sure. All right, now we're going to move on to the Gander Outdoor Truck Series. They are back on track, and this is elimination weekend for all three series. Uh, They will be eliminating uh, a couple of drivers, Uh, to pair down to the final four that will compete at Homestead, Miami. They'll be racing the Lucas Oil 150 at ISM Raceway on Friday, November the 8th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 8 p.m., the pre-race coverage along with the radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 150 miles over 150 laps, Stage 1 ends on lap 45, stage 2 on lap 90, and the final stage ends on the last lap, 150. Last year's winner was Brett Moffat, and uh, we're going to do some parade laps, but uh, let's see. Yeah, we're going to do some parade laps, but let's uh, just kind of get into uh, the name of the driver, their car number, their team, crew chief, and then get into their highlights. All right. Well, I'll start with, you mentioned last year's winner, and, again, he doesn't necessarily have to fear elimination, but that will be Brett Moffitt in the number 24 GMS Racing Chevrolet uh, Silverado uh, for Team GMS Racing with crew chief Jerry Baxter. 
Again, last year he drove for Atari Racing Enterprise number 16 to six wins, leading the way to his first ever Gander Outdoor Truck Series championship for both himself as well as HRE. Uh, he won the uh, truck race in 2016. Taking, he won his first Gander Outdoor Truck Series race, sorry, in 2016, picking up the win at Michigan for Red Horse Racing. And he's made the most of his six truck series starts that year with three top three finishes and four top ten. It was 2013 when he entered the scene with a pair of starts at Kentucky and Michigan. Talking about this year, um, he won the uh, Gander Outdoor Truck Series races at Iowa, Chicagoland, Bristol, and Canadian Tire Motorsports Park already. is currently the top seed in this round of six with 3,107, uh, 10 points ahead of second place Stuart Friesen, and 45 points ahead of fifth place Matt Crafton. In his 21 starts, he's had four victories, 12 top fives, 15 top tens, and an average starting position of 4.1 and a finish of 9.0. He has led a total of 449 of the 2,960 laps completed this season. Now, for Moffitt, this is his first start at uh, ISM. Wait, I'm sorry, in his first start at the track last year, he won at ISM Raceway. Okay. Uh, Now, Tyler Ingram is next up. He's the rookie of the group. His uh, crew chief, he'll be in the number 17 for DGR Crossley with crew chief Kevin Mannion. Uh, His career highlights include clinching the 2019 Gander Outdoor Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors by becoming the only rookie to make the playoffs. Due to age restrictions, Ankrum missed the first three races of the Truck Series season before turning 18 years old in March. So that's really saying something, that he missed three races and still made it into the playoffs. That's amazing. He made his Gander Outdoor Truck Series debut October 27th of 2018, and that was at Martinsville Speedway, driving for DGR Crossley. He started 19th and finished 18th. This year, he heads to Phoenix as sixth in the final seed for the Truck Series standings. He's 15 points behind Austin Hill in fourth, and that is the final transfer spot. Now, Ankrum has clinched, the, again, that Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors uh, for this season because he's the only rookie of this season to make the playoffs. Through his first 21 races, uh, he's only competed in 18 of the events because of his age, uh, and he has posted one win, that was at Kentucky, three top fives and eight top tens. He's led 58 of 2,301 laps completed. His 2019 average starting position is 10.9. His average finishing position is 14.3. He has only one start at ISM Raceway, and that was a sixth-place finish last year. Uh, Pretty impressive for the rookie of the group. And I think no matter what happens at ISM Raceway this weekend, Tyler Ankrum has a lot to be happy about. It certainly does. Uh, We've seen some great things out of him. Next up on our list is the driver, this year's driver of the number 16 Hattori Racing Enterprises Toyota Tundra, and that's Austin Hill. And he will be returning to that team next year. Right now his crew chief is Scott Zipidelli. Uh, Career highlights, he scored his first three career Gander Outdoor Truck Series wins this year at Daytona, Michigan, and Las Vegas. 
He finished 11th in the Truck Series Championship points last year in his first full-time season. He joined, it was back in 2017 when he joined Young Motorsports and made 12 starts, finishing then a career-best 23rd. In 2016, he posted his first top 10, uh, which came at Martinsville, and it was back as far as 14 when he made his Truck Series deb- debut also at Martinsville. For 2019, he heads into ISM Raceway, currently seated fourth in the standings, nine points ahead of fifth-place Matt Crafton. And this is his first Gander Outdoor Truck Series playoff appearance. Through the 21 races so far, he's put up three wins. Again, came at Daytona, Michigan, and Vegas. Six top fives, 12 top tens, and two poles. Those came at Chicago and Pocono. He's led a total of 153 laps and has an average starting position of 9.2 with a finishing position of 13.1. Now, he's only got two starts at ISM Raceway. He finished 23rd there in 2017 and 30th in 2018. But we've seen he's been much better this year in that number 16. Okay. Now, next up is the latest winner in the truck series, and that's Todd Gilliland in the number four for Kyle Busch Motorsports. His crew chief, of course, is Wes Ward. Now, he scored his first uh, truck series win in 2019. That was at Martinsville. And in 18, he competed in 19 races, finishing 10th in the points after posting four top fives and nine top tens. In 17, he made his truck series debut at Dover International Speedway for KBM. And in total, he made six starts with two top fives and three top tens. This year, he's 11th in the Truck Series point standings. In 21 starts this season, he's posted one win, again at Martinsville, six top fives and 13 top tens. His average starting position this year is 7.9. His average finishing position is 10.6. And he's led 71 laps so far this season. Whoops, I just went way past. Um, Okay. At ISM Raceway, he has two truck series starts there. He finished 7th in 2017. He finished 17th last year. He also won the Canon Pro Series race at ISM Raceway in 2015. So he has some experience on that track through the Canon Pro Series West, uh, where he has won, and uh, uh, I think that's going to help him this weekend. Well, and throughout all of that, the one we talked about the most, or got the most mentions, was the number 88 Thor Sport Racing Ford F-150 of Matt Crafton. Now, he's got Carl Joyner Jr. as his crew chief. Uh, for career highlights in 2018, he finished sixth in the championship standings, his 12th consecutive season inside the top 10 in points. He also clinched his third straight playoff berth based on points, but was eliminated in the round of six. In 17, he finished fourth in the championship point standings, making the championship four for the second straight season. In 2016, he scored a berth in the inaugural Gander Outdoor Truck Series playoffs and made it to the championship four, but ended up runner-up there. In 2015, he had a career-best six wins on the season, finishing third in the championship. And in 2013 and 14, that was when he became the first driver in the Truck Series history to win back-to-back championships. In his career, it goes back to as far as 2008 when he earned his first career Truck Series, and that came at Charlotte. 
Now, for 2019, again, he currently sits fifth in that playoff competition, 45 points behind the series leader, Brett Moffitt, and 11 points behind Austin Hill for fourth. This is Crafton's fourth consecutive career Gander Outdoor Truck Series appearance. Through the 21 races on the year, he's posted six top fives, 16 top ten, along with three poles coming at Kansas, Charlotte, and Talladega. This year, he's only led 35 of the 3,007 laps completed. His average starting position is 7.1 and an average finish of 9.3. Now, when it comes to ISM Raceway, he has made 18 starts there, posting six top five finishes and led 16 laps at the famed short track. There, his average starting position is 8.1 and an average finish of 10.0. I think those numbers are going to have to be a little bit better for him to work his way into the playoffs here now in this next round, though. <laughs> well, we'll find out this weekend at ISM. Uh, okay, now a couple of big news stories that came out this week, <clears throat> a couple uh, really within the last couple of days. Ty Majeski, and we've mentioned this earlier, he's a NASCAR Next alum. He's making his debut in the Gander Truck Series for Nice Motorsports. You'll find him driving the number 44 Chevrolet. He has 15 Xfinity starts to his credit, all with Roush Fenway Racing. And at that, when he did that last year, he had three top tens. He also has 15 starts in the Arkham Menard Series across three seasons, uh, and he has wins in three of six races entered this season that came at Charlotte, Pocono, and Chicago. Now, another big news story that came out today, Jesse Little is going to be back in the truck uh, with JJL Motorsports this weekend, but he also uh, was just announced as the new driver for JD Motorsports in the Xfinity Series. So you'll be able to see him next season uh, racing full-time in the Xfinity Series. Uh, anyway, he'll be have his first start. Uh, it'll be his first start back. Uh, since the Bristol race in August, and they plan to finish out the season at ISM Raceway as well as Homestead. So he's posted uh, seven top tens in 30 starts this season. He's recorded a best finish of 13th at the spring Texas race. So uh, really good news for uh, Ty Majeski, uh, who will be racing with Chad Bryant Racing full-time next season uh, in the Arkham Menard Series but also for Jesse Little, who has a, a ride with J.D. Motorsports in uh, the Xfinity Series for next season. Now, when but it comes let's to uh, the... talk about the spoilers. <laughs> All right, and Toyota looks to do that with some part-timers. Between DGR, Chrysler, and Kyle Busch Motorsports, there'll be six drivers between them who are running a uh, part-time basis this season. And the drivers combined for three total previous starts at ISM Raceway. Uh, Let's start with Dylan Upton. He'll be in the number five for DGR Crosley, 25 years old, is making his sixth start of the season and is expected to uh, schedule to finish out the season in this truck in Miami as well. He's recorded one top five at Kentucky, three top tens in his five starts this year. With one of those starts, He has one start at ISM Raceway, a 19th place finish back in 2016. Also in the DGR Crosley is Tanner Gray in the number seven. He's the 2018 NHR Pro Stock Champion, 
who made his NASCAR National Series debut two races ago at Martinsville. Now, he's been spending a chunk of the race where he spent a chunk of the race in the top 10 before being collected in a last lap incident that left him 20th. Of note, the number seven will be making its debut on a DGR Crosley truck as the team fields five entries for this weekend. Gray, however, he'll be working with the same crew chief in Seth Smith and the team he had behind him at Martinsville while driving the number 15. Now, in that number 15, that'll be Anthony Alfredo. Now, he's made 11 starts this year, posting a pair of top 10 finishes at Charlotte, where he was 8th, and Chicago, he was ninth. His last race was Talladega, where he finished 15th. The 20-year-old has one of the NASCAR K&N Pro Series East wins to his credit last year at South Boston, but this will be his first trip to ISM Raceway. Now, when we look at the Kyle Busch Motorsports side, there we got the number 46. We had him on here uh, the show last week, Chandler Smith. If you've been following the Arkham Menard series the past two seasons, you know that name. The 17-year-old has been limited in race opportunities due to the age restriction, but has been a shining star when he makes it onto the track. In 20 total Arca starts, he has seven wins, including five and 11 starts this year. He also has 14 top fives, 19 top tens in those 20 appearances. This season, he's made three Gander Outdoor Truck Series starts, finishing eighth at Iowa and fourth at Wild Worldwide Technology Raceway and second at Bristol. The 51 for KBM, that'll be Brandon Jones. And he's a NASCAR Xfinity Series regular with Joe Gibbs Racing, who made the playoffs this season but was knocked out in that opening round. He'll be making his fifth truck start of the season. In four races this season, he has a pair of top fives, which included a runner-up at Chicago. And he has a pair of previous starts at ISM Raceway with a best finish of 12th coming back in 2014. And the final one there is the number 54. That will be Natalie Decker. She'll be making her track debut at ISM Raceway this Friday. She has the most races under her belt this season of the above group with 17 starts but has a little bit of a rough go of it exiting nine races early due to a crash or mechanical issue. In the other eight races, she averaged a finish of 17.4, has a best finish of 13th at Las Vegas in the spring. Okay. Uh, I want to take a look now at the champ's history at ISM Raceway. And by the champ, we're talking about Brett Moffat, who was last year's champion in the truck series. Uh, last year, he won at ISM Raceway. Then he went on to win at Homestead Miami Speedway, uh, and that's when he captured his very first NASCAR Gander Outdoor Truck Series championship. That marked the first time since Ron Hornaday won the spring 1998 race when the Gander Trucks last competed twice per season at Phoenix. That series championship that the series championship won at ISM en route to the championship. In fact, it also happened in 1995. Mike Skinner swept those races, and then it also happened again in 1997 when Jack Sprague uh, won the April race. Now, records show that if you're good enough to win at Phoenix, at some point in your career, then you're good enough to win the series title. Of the 17 individual drivers who have won the Truck Series Championship, more than half, nine, have recorded at least one win at ISM Raceway during their career. 
That includes three of the past four series title holders, including Brett Moffat last year, Johnny Sauter in 2016, and Eric Jones, the 2015 series champion. All right. Uh, we're going to look at um, the spoilers have been prevailing in, round, in the round of six. Todd Dillon became the second winner in as many in the round of six races to capture his first national series win and play spoiler, preventing the playoff driver from locking themselves into that championship four. A week earlier, it was Spencer Boyd who upset the field and took the checkered flag at Talladega. Since the elimination-style postseason format was introduced in the truck series back in 2016, there hasn't been a round of three races completed without at least one playoff driver earning a win. And that could change if one of the six remaining playoff contenders doesn't win at ISM this weekend. And it's entirely possible the spoiler will prevail again in the desert. Brett Moffat is the lone playoff contender who has won at the one-mile circuit. Johnny Sauter is the only other 2019 regular racer who has won there. If the third straight captures their first Gander Truck Series wins at ISM Raceway, it would be the sixth driver to do so at that track. And that includes some big names, Mike Skinner in 95, Jack Sprague in 96, Kevin Harvick did it in 2002, in 2013 it was Eric Jones, and then in 2016 it was Daniel Suarez. Okay, we're going to go ahead and uh, we're at the 920 mark here, so it's time for us to go ahead and move on to the Xfinity Series. Um, and uh, I think what we'll do is we'll skip the parade laps and come back to those if we have time. Uh, is that okay, Jay? Yep. All right. Uh, the Desert Diamond Casino West Valley 200 at ISM Raceway will take place this Saturday, November the 9th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The pre-race coverage will be on NBC starting at 3 p.m., with radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They're racing a distance of 200 miles over 200 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 45, stage 2 on lap 90, and, of course, the last stage ends on the last lap, lap 200. Last year's winner is the most recent winner, Christopher Bell. All right. When we look at the Xfinity Series playoffs, they are tough, and this weekend's event is going to help third thin out the herd of contenders for this season's uh, title. Each uh, each round of the playoff eliminates four drivers. We're take a quick look back at the past three seasons and the drivers that advanced to the championship four and the drivers that were eliminated. And we're going to start with 2016, where it was Eric Jones, Elliot Sadler, and Daniel Suarez, and Justin Algar that advanced with the um, Daniel Suarez being the final or eventual champion, sorry, uh, for that season. In 2007, uh, the eliminations were Justin Algar, Ryan Reed, Blake Cook, Bubba Wallace, and Brandon Gaunt. In 2017, Actually, Justin Algar was, was in the final four. Uh, yeah, as well as in 2017, there it was William Byron, Justin Algar, Daniel Hamrick, and Elliot Sadler. Uh, with William Byron taking home the championship. The ones that were eliminated were Elliot Sadler, Cole Custer. Okay, I'm going one too many there. Elliot Sadler Sadler was was not eliminated. Uh, He was one of the four that made it. It was Cole Custer, Matt Tiff, Brennan Poole, and Ryan Reed that were eliminated. 
Uh, last year in 2018, it was Christopher Bell, Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer, and Daniel Hemrick, with Reddick taking the championship. And the four that were eliminated there were Elliot Sadler, Matt Tift, Justin Algar, and Austin Sindrick. We see a lot of those names still the same this year. Yes, we do, and and uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool uh, to to look at that history. Now, here are the clinch scenarios for ISM Raceway this weekend, and the and the let's see, they've got one, two, three, four, five drivers here. Uh, of course, Cole Custer can clinch on points with 22 points and a new winner. If there's a repeat winner or a win by Tyler Reddick or Justin Algauer, he could clinch on points with four points. So Tyler Reddick, he can clinch on points with 38 points and a new winner. If there's a repeat winner or a win by Cole Custer or Justin Algauer, he could clinch on points with just 20 points. Justin Algauer can clinch on points if there's a repeat winner. Or if there's a win by Cole Custer or Tyler Reddick, he can clinch with 38 points. He could also clinch on points with a new winner and help. <clears throat> now, Chase Briscoe, Michael Lynette, Austin Sindrick can all clinch in the championship four on points with some help, meaning, you know, somebody else has a bad day, let's say. Uh, Noah Gregson could clinch on points with a repeat winner and help. So those are all the clinch scenarios for this weekend for the drivers that are currently in uh, these playoffs. And uh, right now, Christopher Bell has uh, a secure spot with his victory. So uh, the other winner, I think, was not a uh, playoff driver. So anyway, this is this is where the nitty gets gritty, if you will. That's right, and the Xfinity stage is set for this elimination race of 2019 at ISM Raceway. Located just outside Phoenix, Arizona, is the uniquely shaped one-mile track that will play host to this weekend's elimination race, the Desert Diamond West Valley Casino 200. Now, it's been the sixth race of the seven-race Xfinity Series playoffs since its inception in 2016. Interestingly, the one-mile circuit has produced three different winners in the three previous playoff races. In 2016, it was Monster Energy Cup Series driver Kyle Busch that played spoiler, winning that playoff race at the facility, controlled the event from start to finish, leading 190 of the 200 laps. Now, five of the eight playoff drivers finished inside the top ten that evening, Justin Algar fourth, eventual champion Daniel Suarez fifth, Ryan Reed sixth, Blake Cook eighth, and Eric Jones, 10th. In 2017, it was junior motorsports rookie William Byron that took the lead with just 17 laps to go and grab the checkered flag to secure his spot in that championship four and go on and win the series title that season. That year, four of the Xfinity playoff drivers were inside the top 10. Again, Byron winning, Daniel Hamrick, 5th, Cole Custer, 7th, and Justin Augar, 10th. Last year, it was Joe Gibbs Racing's Christopher Bell who won his seventh race of the season, again securing his spot in the championship four as a rookie. Now, he put on an impressive show in route to his victory, leading 94 of the scheduled 200 laps, but Bell would go on to finish fourth in the final standings in Miami. Okay, now uh, a driver who's had a breakout season this year is Team Penske's Austin Sendrick, and it really has him in the title hunt. It's his first full season with Team Penske. Uh, at, last year, he uh, 
he split the season between Tim, Team Penske and Roush Fenway Racing. So, but uh, this year has really been a breakout year with for him. He's currently seventh in the playoff standings. He's just 31 points back from the cutoff and still in the hunt for the title. Heading to Phoenix this weekend, Cendric is looking to challenge uh, to the challenge of making the championship four. In three starts on the one-mile track, he's put up two top fives. He has an average finish of 8.3, which is pretty impressive. He finished fourth in the playoff race last season and fifth in the spring race earlier this year. I look for him to be a contender. Well, most certainly uh, we'll see how it plays out this weekend, whether or not he gets in. The one that's looking, uh, having a career best season and looking at his chance to enter the championship four isn't a young guy. He's a veteran, Michael Annette. And this whole season to this point comes down to this weekend at ISM Raceway as Michael Annette again is riding his best season statistically at, to a chance at that championship four. He resides at in six in the playoffs, 28 points behind Junior Motorsports teammate Justin Nagar for that final transfer spot. And he's made 14 starts at ISM Raceway, posting five top tens. His average finish is 15.2, and he finished 16th in this playoff race last season and eighth in the spring race earlier this year. So, again, that eighth might not even do it, but uh, he's definitely in contention along with the others. Okay, now there's also a couple of rookies here that are on the verge of joining a very list if they make it into the championship four. Uh, since the inception of the Xfinity Series playoffs in 2016, just five Rookie of the Year contenders have actually made it to the championship four round. And this weekend at ISM Raceway in Phoenix, Stuart Haas Racing's with Fred Biaggi's uh, Chase Briscoe and Junior Motorsports Noah Gregson have the opportunity to add their names to the elite list of rookies to accomplish that feat. Now, some of the rookies that have made it in the past include Eric Jones in 2016. He finished fourth. Uh, in 2017, William Byron uh, was the champion, and Daniel Hemrick finished fourth. And in 2018, Tyler Ruddick was the champion, and Christopher Bell finished fourth. So it has happened, and it's not unreasonable to think that it might not happen again this weekend. Now, Chase is currently fifth in the playoff standings heading into ISM. He's 18 points behind Justin Algauer, in the, in that, by, who's in that final transfer spot. Briscoe made his track debut at Phoenix earlier this season. He started 12th, and he raced his way up to a sixth-place finish. Gregson is eighth in the playoff standings. He's 47 points back from the cutoff line, and much like Briscoe, Gregson made a series track debut at ISM earlier this season. He started sixth, and he finished 11th. But I know Gregson also has some experience at that track through the Canon Pro Series as well. And that certainly should help him out. One name we've talked about a couple times here, uh, Justin Algar. Now, he looks to make the championship four round for the first time since 2017. After the heartbreak Algar suffered last season from winning a career-best five races and taking the regular season championship to ultimately falling short of the championship four in the playoffs, 
the Illinois native and junior motorsports driver returns to the Valley of the Sun for redemption. He's currently fourth in the playoff standings, that final transfer spot to the championship four, 18 points ahead of fifth place, Chase Briscoe. Algar has made 18 starts, most among the playoff drivers at ISM Raceway, posting one pole, one win, which came in the spring of 2017, six top fives, 11 top tens, and an average finish of 9.1. In last season's playoff race, he led 69 laps and won the first two stages, but finished the race 24th one lap down. He did finish 14th earlier this season at ISM Raceway, so hopefully he can improve a little bit on that. And again, uh, it's going to come down to a tight points battle. Without a doubt. Uh, The defending champion, Tyler Reddick, uh, is pretty close to an opportunity to repeat. Uh, He just became the third Sunoco rookie in Xfinity Series history to win the title just last season. He joined Chase Elliott, who did that in 2014, and William Byron did it in 2017. Now the rising star from California is close to the opportunity to become the seventh driver in series history to also win back-to-back championships. And if he does that, he'll be joining Sam Ard, who did it in 83 and 84, Larry Pearson in 86 and 87, Randy LaJoy in 96 and 97. Dale Earnhardt Jr. did it in 98 and 99. Martin Truex in 2004 and 5. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. did it in 2011 and 12. That's the last time that it's happened. All he needs to do is to secure his spot in the championship for this weekend at ISM Raceway to have a chance. Right now he's third in the playoff points. Reddick is 36 points ahead of fifth-place driver Chase Briscoe. It's the first spot outside the championship four. But Tyler Reddick, the RCR driver, has made four starts at Phoenix, posting one top five, three top tens, and his average finish there is an impressive 8.2. Well, that would be a heck of a list for him to join if he could do it. But... (laughs) Yeah. One of the guys he's going to have to go through is Cole Custer, and he's looking for his second chance at a title. Now, he just barely missed it in his rookie season in 2017, but Stuart Haas Racing's Cole Custer made the championship four round last season by winning at Texas and then ultimately finishing runner-up in the final standings. Now the California Wheelman heads to ISM Raceway, second in the standings, 52 points up on the cut line, and a chance at making the championship four for the second consecutive season. Now, in the desert, Custer has made five series starts at ISM Raceway, posting one top five and four top ten. His average finish is 9.6, and he finished eighth in this race last season. Okay, now locked in is Christopher Bell. He's the first to secure his championship four spot. Joe Gibbs Racing's Bell became the first of eight NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff drivers to secure a spot in the championship four with his victory at Texas Motor Speedway last weekend. It was his eighth win on the season and 16th of his his Xfinity Series career. This is the second consecutive season that Bell has made the championship four. He ultimately finished fourth in in the standings last year. Now, The playoff standings leader heads into ISM this weekend uh, to pad his stats. 
He's an Oklahoma native and has made four series starts at the one-mile track, posting one pole, one win. That was the playoff race in 2018, three top fives, and has an average finish of 9.8. He dominated last the race last year, leading 94 of 200 laps and won his way into the final round at Miami. Uh, he's already secured his spot, but I would not put it out of uh, the realm of possibility that he might win again this weekend. All right. Well, it looks like we got a little bit of time here. You want me to go ahead and start with Chase Briscoe for the uh, parade laps? Or down at the bottom, yeah. Let's start at the bottom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I believe that's Briscoe. He's driving a number of the 98 Stuart Haas racing with Ford Biaggi, Ford Mustang. Uh, crew chief is Richard Boswell. For career highlights, he made his Xfinity Series debut at Atlanta back in 2018. He ran 17 races last season, again splitting it between Stuart Haas Racing with Fred Biaggi of 5, Roush Fenway Racing of 12, and won the inaugural race at the Charlotte Roval. This year he's made the 2019 series, uh, Xfinity Series playoffs in his rookie season. He's ranked fifth in the standings, 18 points behind Algar in the final championship four transfer spot. In 31 starts, he's posted two poles coming Charlotte Roval in the second trip to Dover. He's got one win at Iowa in the second visit there. 12 top fives, 22 top tens, and an average finish of 8.4. He made his series track debut at ISM Raceway earlier this season where he started 12th and raced his way up to a sixth-place finish. Okay, next up on our parade laps is Riley Earps. Uh, he'll be driving the number 18 for Joe Gibbs Racing, and uh, his uh, crew chief is Ben Bashore. He's run part-time Xfinity Series schedule the past two seasons, and he's making nine total starts for Joe Gibbs Racing, posting four top ten finishes. He made a series debut at JGR at Iowa Speedway in 2018 when he started ninth, and he finished sixth his career best finish in the Xfinity Series. This year, he's made eight starts this season at JGR, posting three top ten finishes. His best finish this season is a ninth place that he got twice at Richmond, the very first race there, and the second race at Las Vegas. He'll be making a series track debut this weekend at ISM Raceway. But Riley does have, again, some Canon Pro Series experience at that track. We'll see how that comes into play. One that has uh, maxed out his experience here in the Xfinity Series, that's the number 20, Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota Supra, Christopher Bell. And he's got crew chief Jason Ratcliffe in his ear. In 2018, he set the rookie single-season Xfinity Series wins record with seven victories, uh, beating out the previous record of five wins, which was held by three drivers. Greg Biffle did it in 01. Kyle Busch in 2004, and Carl Edwards in 05. He made the Xfinity Series playoffs in that rookie year of 2018 and advanced to the championship four, ultimately finishing fourth in the championship standings. He's recorded 16 career wins in just 72 starts, including now seven this year, coming at Atlanta, Bristol, Dover, Iowa, New Hampshire, Road America, Richmond, and Texas. The 16th win ties him with Jack Ingram and Sam Ard for the most wins by a driver 
in the Xfinity Series in their first 72 starts. On the year, he's currently the playoff leader with a guaranteed spot into the championship four following his victory last weekend at Texas. In the 31 starts, he's posted five poles coming at ISM Raceway, Texas, Charlotte, uh, second visit to Iowa, as well as Kansas. And his eight wins have come in Atlanta, Bristol, Dover, Iowa, New Hampshire, Road America, Richmond, and Texas. And 19 top fives, 20 top tens, and an average finish of 9.0. His performance at ISM Raceway, he's got four starts. He's posted one win, which again was that 2018 playoff race, and three top fives with an average finish of 9.75. Okay, last up on our, our parade laps here is Michael Lynette in the number one for junior motorsports. Travis Mack is his crew chief. He won his first career Xfinity Series race in 2019. That was at the season opener at Daytona, qualifying him for the playoffs. In 2017, he made the Xfinity Series playoffs and finished the season ninth in the point standings. And in 12, he finished a career-best fifth in the series point standings. This year, he's sixth in the uh, point standings, 28 points behind his junior motorsports teammate, Justin Algauer, who's in fourth, the final transfer spot. Right now, he's... uh, posted his first career Xfinity Series win again at Daytona and 31 starts this season. He has one pole, one win, six top fives, 18 top tens, and an average finish of 10.0. He's made 14 starts at ISM Raceway, posting five top tens, and his average finish is 15.2. It's at 8.940, so we do need to move on to the uh, Monster Energy Cup Series, They'll be racing the Blue Green Vacations 500 at ISM Raceway this Sunday, November the 10th, at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Pre-race coverage will be on NBC starting at 2 p.m. with uh, radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing 312 miles over 312 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 75, stage 2 on lap 150, and the last stage ends on the last lap lap 312. Last year's winner is Kyle Busch. <clears throat> All right, and I'll start us off with some competition highlights. Uh, Kevin Harvick's win from the Bush pole position last week at Texas Motor Speedway marked several com- competitive milestones. The pole gave Harvick a series best six on the year. It was the second time this season, also at Indianapolis, that he's won from the pole. The driver of the number four, Stuart Haas Racing Ford, is the first driver to win the same playoff race for three consecutive years. Now, Hendrick Motorsports still maintains the overall edge in pole positions on the season with 10, one more than Stuart Haas Racing. And there's been 13 different race winners, with Joe Gibbs' organization owning a series best 17 wins in the opening 34 races. JGR's Martin Truex leads all drivers with seven victories. His teammates, Denny Hamlin, has five, Kyle Busch has four, and are among four drivers with at least four wins. Harvick, now with four, is the other. The average margin of victory through these opening 34 races is 1.549 seconds. In 18 of the 34 races, which is 52.9%, the margin of victory has been less than one second. The average number of race leaders on the season is 918 
the most since 2014 when it was 10.0, and the average number of lead changes of 17.79 is the most since 2015 when it was at 18.03. Now this year there's been 1,086 green flag passes for the lead, which is up 51% from last year. The number has increased in 23 of the 34 races, including all seven at the 1.5-mile tracks. Last week's Texas race doubled that statistic from 2018 with 57 green flag passes for the lead. Now, green flag passes across the board are up 28% over 2018. And lastly, the playoffs have seen a 33.4% increase in green flag passing as well. So, again, looking like on-track competition at its best. Yes, indeed. But uh, we're talking about new territory as well because four of the eight championship drivers have never won a Cup Series race at Phoenix, and technically only Kyle Busch has won on the newly remodeled ISM Raceway, earning trophies in the first two races with that new configuration. Now, the current points leader, Martin Truex Jr., Ryan Blaney, Kyle Larson, and Chase Elliott, are still looking to celebrate in the desert. Among these four drivers, 2017 series champion Truex is the only one who has previously advanced to the Homestead Miami Championship by Nally. Uh, The other three drivers are all in uh, a win situation. Truex scored his best-ever Phoenix finish this last March, finishing runner-up to Bush. He has three top-five finishes in the last four races at the one-mile track and was 14th in the 2018 playoff race there. Now, Blaney won the pole position and finished third this past March, just behind Bush and Truex, leading a personal best 94 laps. The driver of the number 12 team, Pinsky Ford, has two pole positions and three top 10 finishes in seven Phoenix starts. His worst outing is a 34th that came in last year's playoff race. <clears throat> Excuse me. Larson and Elliott have both scored runner-up finishes there. Larson finished second in the 2017 spring race. He had three top five and five top ten finishes in 11 starts. The number 42 Chip Ganassi Racing Chevrolet, concluding a third-place showing in both the 2016 and 18 playoff races at Phoenix. Elliott, who sits eighth, he's 78 points behind Joey Logano in fourth place, must win at Phoenix if he wants to advance to his first career championship four. The driver of the number eight Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet has four top ten finishes in seven Phoenix starts, earning his runner-up showing in the 2017 playoff race there. He started on the outside pole this past March, but he finished 14th. All right. We'll run over a quick some quick clinch scenarios there. Now, with Martin Truex Jr. and Kevin Harvick having already clinched, any of the other six drivers would obviously advance with the victory. And then the highest standing driver in the point standings earns that fourth and final playoff spot. If a driver other than the eight championship eligible wins, then the top two positions would advance based on points. Should there be a tie, the advantage goes to the driver who scored the highest finish in this three rounds uh, three race round, which would include Martinsville, Texas, and Phoenix. 
So we'll start with Kyle Busch at 4,113 points. He would clinch with 53 points earned and a new winner. If there's a repeat winner or a win by Joey Logano, he would clinch uh, a position by having earned 34 points. Two points behind him is Joey Logano at 4,111. So he would clinch with 55 points earned and a new winner. If there's a, a repeat winner or Kyle Busch, then he would only need 36 points. Denny Hamlin sits at 4,091. He would clinch with a win or on points with help, which is the same for the other four left, I'm sorry, three left. Ryan Blaney's at 4,088. Kyle Larson also at 4,088. And Chase Elliott at 4,033. And actually, Chase is in a must win to earn the championship uh, four position. Uh, he can't even clinch uh, at all without getting that win. Yeah, a lot of these drivers are going to be fighting to get in. Uh, but Denny Hamlin is the only previous Phoenix winner among the four drivers who sit on the outside of the championship four, and must and they must and must earn a position in the November seventeenth championship race at Homestead, Miami. His win came back in the spring of 2012, so it's been a little while. He's ranked fifth heading into Sunday's race. Hamlin's averaging a 13.6 finish in the five cup playoff races at ISM Raceway since 2014. His best fall finish is runner-up in 2012. He led a race best 193 laps in 2017 playoff race, only to fall out of the race while leading after contact from Chase Elliott. Excuse me. Hamlin's 678 career laps led at Phoenix is more than the combined career totals of Joey Logano at 296, Kyle Larson at 69, Ryan Blaney at 108, and Elliott at 156. Larson's best playoff showing is a third place in 2016 and in 18. He has an average finish of 16.0 in the last five playoff events at that track. Now, Ryan Blaney, who's tied with Larson, is 23 points behind the fourth-place driver, Joey Logano. He's averaging a 19.7 finish in three playoff races that he's competed in at Phoenix. The lowest average playoff finish among the four drivers needing to race their way into the championship four. Now, eighth-place driver Elliott, who's 78 points behind in fourth-place Logano, has an average finish of 11.3 in three playoff races that he's competed in. His best showing in seven starts at ISM is a runner-up in the 2007 playoff race. So, I'm sorry, 2017 playoff race. Kevin Harvick is the only driver in the playoff era who went into ISM Raceway uh, race not already ranked among the top four in the standings and earned a position contending in the championship finale. He was ranked eighth going into Phoenix in 2014. He earned a championship berth with a win and going on to earn his very first cup championship the following week with a victory at Homestead. So that's a pretty interesting stat. Well, and happy Harvick, though, he's not content. He did secure his position in the championship for for the fifth time in the six-year history of the format with that win at Texas Motor Speedway on Sunday, 
again, his third consecutive playoff victory on the Texas circuit. And with the pressure off to qualify for the championship eligibility, he heads to his best track, ISM Raceway, in Phoenix. The 2014 Monster Energy Series champ has a series-best nine victories there. His 16 top five finishes are most all-time, as are his 1,595 laps led. Between November 2012 and March of 2016, Harvick won six races, including a record four consecutively from November of 13 to March of 15. He is on a streak of 12 consecutive top 10 finishes, 10 of them being top fives. In just six races between 13 and 16, he led 1,064 laps, which is 66.7% of his career total. Three times he's led more than 200 laps in route to a victory. That includes the 2014 sweep, the 2015 spring, and the 2015 spring race. A win this weekend at ISM Raceway would be Harvick's 50th career Monster Energy Cup Series win, breaking a tie he holds with his team owner, three-time Cup champion Tony Stewart, who will be inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame here in 2020. Harvick, who now has four wins on the season, acknowledged the gap before his first win of the year, which didn't come until the 20th race of the season at New Hampshire. He's won three more times in the 14 races since. Last year, he won three of the first four races and had five wins by the season midpoint. This year, that first win took the longest for him since 2012 when he didn't win until the next to to last race of the year, which was at IFSM Raceway. So a little bit different of a season for him, but all in all, he's in the championship four, and that's the goal. That is definitely the goal, uh, but it is also go time for Logano. Joey Logano just about won the regular season championship by racing hard and keeping Kyle Busch honest for the first 26 races of the year. Bush ended up with the regular season title, but Logano is still buying to become the first back-to-back champion since Jimmy Johnson won five consecutive Cup Series titles from 2006 to 2010. Right now, Logano is fourth in the standings heading into Phoenix. He's two points behind third-place Bush with a 20-point edge over fifth-place driver Danny Hamlin. The driver of the number 22 for Team Penske will need an improved outing this fall on the newly reconfigured Phoenix one-miler. Now, last year, Logano finished 37th at Phoenix, but he held a position in the championship four because he had a win at Martinsville earlier in the round. This year, uh, Logano bounced back with a 10th-place run at Phoenix this March, but it is his only top 10 in the last five races at the track. His previous top 10 was his only victory there in 2016. Since then, he's had a pair of DNFs, and in 21 starts, Logano has four top five, ten top ten finishes at Phoenix. So uh, he's going to have to really uh, step up his game this weekend at uh, ISM. Well, and the one he's ultimately battling, uh, the Valley of the Sun, could shine on Kyle Busch's playoff hopes. Now, he must feel buoyed by his record at the ISM Raceway in Phoenix, where he's the only driver to win a race to driver to win in the two races since that facility completed 
a major renovation in the reconfiguration last year. A victory in Sunday's Blue Green Vacations 500 would be a huge boost to the Monster Energy Cup Series regular season champion, uh, securing his position into the championship four to compete for the season title and giving him all kinds of momentum to do so. Bush has three career victories at Phoenix and is the only one in the current eight championship-eligible drivers with multiple wins at all three three of the tracks, uh, Martinsville, Texas, and Phoenix, that comprise this championship setup playoff round. Only nine-time Phoenix winner Kevin Harvick has more top ten finishes, uh, 22 at ISM Raceway, than Bush, who has 20 among the eight drivers still contending for that championship berth. And with both wins on the new-look facility, there's plenty of reason for Bush to feel optimistic about his chances Sunday. He has hoisted four trophies this season, but doing so Sunday would be the first time since a June 2nd victory at Pocono. Martin Truex and Harvick, again, they've secured two of the four positions for next weekend's title chase. The 2015 Series champion Bush is ranked third with a two-point advantage on defending Series champion Joey Logano. He holds a 22-point edge on Joe Gibbs Racing teammate Denny Hamlin in fifth place and 25-point edge over Ryan Blaney and Kyle Larson. Again, Chase Elliott is 80 behind, behind Bush and 78 points out of fourth, so mathematically he can only get into that championship four with the win at ISM Raceway. Now, should a non-playoff driver win on Sunday, then both third and fourth place positions in the point standings would earn a position into the championship four. So there's a little bit of math going on, but realistically, one of the things you want to look at is that battle just between Kyle Busch and Joey Logano. Yeah, it, it is going to be tight, and... Uh... <clears throat> and uh, and if a driver from the bottom four does win, one of them are going to be out, and that's the thing to really be watching for this weekend. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. It's it's a do not miss race for sure. Most certainly not an elimination race. Again, the history of Kevin Harvick, even though he's already locked in, still going to be going at it hard. That battle between Joey Logano and Kyle Busch. Uh, two points apart just in case like you said one of the bottom four wins only one of those two are going to get in so that points battle there is going to be uh extremely uh highlighted throughout the day yeah yes indeed uh and and uh i can't wait to watch because uh it's going to be exciting it's going to be three races well four races when you think about the canon pro series race as well uh four races uh, one is a championship title race. The other three are all elimination races, the penultimate race before the championship race at Homestead, Miami next week. So these are going to be huge races, all four events. And uh, I think it's going to be uh, intense <laughs> is the word that comes to mind. It's going to be intense racing all the way around. And, uh, uh, I can't think of a better better thing to do this weekend than to watch all four of those events. Well, and the one thing I take away from it, too, is remember next year with the schedule change, ISM Raceway is going to be where the championship is determined. Yes. So some of these teams, yes. such as Harvick and Truex, uh, might be looking at trying some things out um, for next year 
based on that fact that that's where the championship will be determined. Be determined. So they might have a little bit of an edge. Uh, they already do uh, being locked into Miami, I guess. Uh, I'm sure they've both been working on their cars now specifically for Miami already. Yes, yes, I would imagine that they have been. Now, Jay, we've got a couple minutes here, not not much time, maybe a minute and a half, uh, to go over our fan for racing picks. All right. Uh, we'll start with the truck series, get our picks out. I believe I got them all. Uh, for the truck series, yep, Sam started us off with Stuart Friesen. James took Brett Moffitt. I went with Harrison Burton. Sharon took Ross Chastain, and Andy took Brandon Jones, making a start there in the truck series. In the Xfinity series, uh, James started. James. All right, yeah. Uh, I'll I'll let you take that. Go ahead. (laughs) James James took Cole Custer. Jay took uh, Tyler Reddick. I took uh, Chase Briscoe. Sam took Justin Algauer, and Andy took Christopher Bell. All really good picks, I think. All right, the cup side, that one's a little bit different here. I started us off with uh, Kevin Harvick. Andy took Chase Elliott in that must-win situation. Sam has faith in uh, into the championship four with Denny Hanlon. Sharon went with Kyle Busch. And then James came in with Alex Bowman. All right, so I think those are all good picks as well. Alex is from that Phoenix area, so I'm sure he's pretty familiar with the with the uh, track out at uh, ISM Raceway. All right, we're coming up on the top of the hour here, and now it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And, Jay, I think I'm going to let you lead off. I, I don't have my list here, so I'm going to let you kind of lead the, the topic list for tonight. All right. Uh, have you heard from Andy? I hadn't heard from him today. I have not heard from him. I'm thinking that he's probably coming from work. He might be just a couple minutes late. So okay. a lot of times um, he's just I, coming in when the show's getting started. Okay. Um, and I don't know. I, I didn't get a chance to uh, to catch Monday Night Show again coming back from Nashville. I don't know if you guys talked about this. But I know throughout the week it's still a hot topic that will be addressed Sunday at ISM Raceway, and that is a driver intentionally spinning out. Um, there's yes. thoughts that maybe Bubba Wallace did it uh, this past weekend at Texas. I believe it was Clint Boyer and Joey Logano that were uh, accused of it, if you will. Implicated. At, okay. There we go. Implicated uh, of doing it the week prior. And this past week, it was Kyle Larson that brought it up and said something about it, and he said he's done it. So, again, it obviously does happen. The question is, is should NASCAR do something about it and get involved other than warn the drivers not to do it? Well, we did talk about this, and it's a very subjective thing. It's so hard for NASCAR to monitor that. Um, But... Jay, before I get into that, I, I want to hear what your thoughts are because we, we have talked about it already on Monday's show. I do have a problem with it if it is happening intentionally. However, like you said, right. it is so hard to prove. And I know listening to some of the shows throughout the week, they talked about with the technology that NASCAR has at their disposal, um, they could determine based on uh, acceleration, the turning of the steering wheel of whether or not it was an intentional thing. 
But like I said, it's a matter of whether or not we want them to. And personally, no, I do not. Because, again, even if you have that telemetry and all that, it is still a partial judgment call because you don't know what happened in that car to cause them to do whatever they did. So um, I know one of the callers on SiriusXM Speedway today called in and, and brought up something from my world of dirt track racing. Uh, I believe he said three times most of the tracks I go to have a two-caution rule um, that if you bring out two cautions, you're done for that race. Uh, like I said, whoever the caller was referenced it being three, wherever they're from. Um, that is a thought, but I think at the NASCAR level, you got to maybe take it up to a little bit higher if you were to implement that. Uh, dirt track racing, again, I think is a little bit different. But there again, if you're charged with two cautions and it don't matter uh, what the reason is, you know, and actually mm-hmm. there again, we also imply that if they deem that you brought it out intentionally, it is a one and done. But, again, then it's a judgment call. And I don't really want to see anything determined based on a strictly a judgment call of intent. So, But I think that there is something along that lines that NASCAR could look at. Now, like I said, it would have to be on a grander scale, obviously, if you're doing a 500-lap race. And there, again, the, the problem is is if more than one car involved, it's determining who is at fault. You know, And, and this is speaking from the dirt track side that only one person gets charged with that caution and put to the rear. I know NASCAR doesn't put drivers to the rear, but if they deem you cause the wreck, uh, there again, you're getting into that judgment call. So it's, I I don't know what the fix action is. I don't like it and I wish it wouldn't happen, but I also don't want to see NASCAR become heavily involved. Again, the the comment was made of now you're going to wait to restart a race for five, 10 laps because they're trying to determine if that was an intentional spin out by looking at all that telemetry. Right. I think this is a case of be careful what you ask for because, one, I agree with you. I don't like it either. I I don't like the idea that people are trying to manipulate a race finish uh, to benefit drivers. It's wrong. (laughs) There's no two ways about it. It's it's wrong. Uh, It's pretty black and white. Uh, What's not black and white is that how do you how do you monitor that and manage that? It, 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 with the understanding that it is a, a, a subjective decision, uh, then you got to be prepared for sometimes they're going to get it right and sometimes they're not going to get it right. So if they don't get it right, we can't complain about it because this is what everybody's asking for. So I, I don't think I don't think um, NASCAR wants to get into that. I think they want to avoid it if they can avoid it, but if if it means that people are manipulating the race results, uh, I don't think we can ma- allow that to happen either. So they've got to come up with some kind of an answer, um, and uh, you know the fact that uh, Kyle Larson is admitting that he's done it himself. Uh, and now he's blowing the whistle on other people that are doing it. Um, that's that's kind of not good either because he's saying he's he's manipulated a race, uh, but he doesn't like it when it's not in his benefit. So uh, I, I think it's opening up Pandora's box, to be honest with you. But at the same time, I don't like the idea that these guys are manipulating races either. Uh, and and I like the idea of maybe the you know you manipulate once 
or twice and you're out, uh, I think that's that's a good deal. And the same thing could be done even with the stage racing. Uh, people could be manipulating even with the stage racing and for points and so forth. I think Kyle Larson got caught on pit road uh, with a caution, an untimely caution that came out, and that's what upset him because it put him a lap back. Uh, and I can't blame him for being upset about that, but the fact that he's also done it, um, it's kind of talking out of two sides of your mouth. So I, I think I think you gotta you gotta be prepared for what you get if you're gonna uh, bring up stuff like this. And I'm I'm fearful. I, I can just hear it now. People getting upset because NASCAR makes a subject subjective ruling, um, and it doesn't necessarily go in their favor. And we're gonna hear about it then too. So. Well, and I know when it comes to the fans that they may may scream for it now, but you got to look back at history. Uh, Dale Jr. has admitted to having done it on occasion. Um, so, again, it's one of those all drivers, I, I shouldn't say all drivers, most drivers, if they're being honest, have done it. Um, it's a matter of, of how you police it. Now, uh, Quentin jumped in here, and if we think back to 2013, it basically cost MWR uh, their entire organization. Now, that one, NASCAR did feel like they had enough evidence and deemed that it was an intentional thing. If you remember with Clint Boyer and Martin Truex, as far as who got into the championship. Um, And that's one where it was the sponsors that became involved as they lost Napa, 5R Energy, and Aaron's. Um, So it might be one of those of if it gets talked about enough, by the broadcasters, which I know they did this weekend, that sponsors are going to go to the team and say, hey, if you're doing this, knock it off, or, you know, we're not going to support you. So that might be the ultimate fix action is just talk about it enough that sponsors are like, hey, we don't want to be associated with that. And, Andy, uh, my apologies to you. I just noticed you've been sitting here waiting, and I haven't noticed until just now. So I'm going to bring you into the queue. No, that's okay. I enjoyed listening to what you both had to say there, for sure. So what are your thoughts, Andy? Well, I know, we talked know, I about this on, this on Monday. We did, you know, but I guess what I can reiterate, you know, from Monday and also having watched um, some of the NASCAR programming this week, um, you know, I you hate to see race manipulation, but it was brought up on the show that, um, just like you just said, Jay, pretty much everyone's done it at some point. And if they say they haven't, they're probably lying. And, you know, it's just unfortunately part of of racing, a, a, an ugly part of racing, because teams do what they got to do to benefit themselves sometimes, which may include spinning out. And, you know, unfortunately we've seen some high-profile cases of this over the years. Um, you know, everyone's done it at some point, whether they admit it or not. And um, so, I mean, I, I guess I accept that part of it, even though I don't care for it. Uh, that being said, I don't necessarily want to see an over-regulation of it as well, because to, to I forget who, who said it, but um, to the point of getting it right or getting it wrong, you know, Sometimes, yes, the penalization will fit the crime. There are times where it may not fit the crime and somebody will be unfairly Mm -hmm. penalized. So it's a slippery slope where I don't want to see it overregulated. So I think as long as NASCAR maybe 
talks to everybody in the driver's meeting at some point over the weekend and basically says, all right, look, we know what's going on. We're going to, you know, keep an eye on you guys. And if we determine you're doing something blatantly illegal, then there will be severe consequences for it. I mean, oftentimes, you know, maybe that's all it takes to settle these guys down and it becomes a non-story moving forward, which is what you would hope. Um, Let me just say, you know, I don't like it. You know, I, I don't like the fact that, it happens, but I mean, if you really think about it, there are so many ways that a driver and team can manipulate the outcome of a race that we don't even probably know about. Um, and again, it all comes down to trying to gain that competitive advantage to try to better one's own results for their own benefit. So um, I, I guess that's just part of it and not necessarily a great attribute of the sport, but I think that uh, it's just it's just part of the deal, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I remember one of the drivers, I want to say it was Tony Stewart, but I don't know that for sure. Uh, one of the drivers said at one time that drivers are very selfish and they need to have parents that kind of keep them in line. And unfortunately, NASCAR becomes the parent in this case. And and these are all good examples of, of drivers being very selfish and looking out for their own best interest uh, in bringing this up and and uh, doing what they're doing on the track. So, unfortunately, we'll we'll have to see how NASCAR responds to it. But, yeah, I think they do need to at least sit down and talk to them, Jay. Yeah, and I I would hope if they said, hey, if you keep it up, we're going to get involved, and if we get involved, you're not going to like it. Because, again, we we have to make a judgment (laughs) call, and and you're not going to like that. Because they're probably then going to want to judge on the side of – you know that to make sure the integrity is is maintained that they they lean that way more often than not would be my thought anyway. So uh, yeah, they, that's not what the drivers are going to ultimately want. So stop doing it. <laughs> yeah, uh, basically that's it. So Andy, what's your hot topic? We'll go ahead and move on from here. All right. Um, I think that uh, you know one of the bigger ones. Uh, of the week would be the um, bit of a crew chief shuffle. Uh, Tyler Reddick will get a new crew chief in the Cup Series next year uh, with Randall Burnett moving up with him uh, from the Xfinity Series to the number eight car next year. And at the same time, Luke Lambert, who has been a longtime Richard Childress Racing employee, will leave that team and move to be Chris Brisser's crew chief on the number 17 Ford at Roush Fenway Racing next season. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Okay, let me get out the 10 pages here of the crew chief changes. I thought driver changes during (laughs) a silly season was bad enough. Um, Those are obviously two of the highlights, and and I know I think it was was Tuesday with the Luke Lambert deal. I think they said he was unemployed for a matter of five minutes between press releases that he was leaving uh, Richard Childress and had been hired by Roush Fenway. So I don't truthfully think he was unemployed at any point. Uh, but the announcements apparently came five minutes apart. So um, I I understand Richard Childress's uh, move there of keeping Burdett with uh, Tyler Reddick, and I think the beneficiary of that is uh, Luke Lambert going uh, pairing with uh, Chris Buescher. I personally think that Luke Lambert is maybe one of the best in the garage, underrated and not acknowledged as much as some of the others. So I think that's a huge bonus for uh, Roush Fenway Racing and Chris Buescher. And I know we haven't heard yet of, and I can't off the top of my think of my uh, 
think off the top of my head, the one that was leaving Roush Fenway but didn't announce where he was going or whether or not he was going to go with Stenhouse. Uh, I don't remember who was paired with Stenhouse that was supposedly going to follow him. Brian Paddy. Uh, there you Brian go. Paddy, Thank you. Which I, there again, I mean, and that tells you how important that crew chief driver pairing is, is, you know, if if you have that partnership that we've seen some great ones and we've also seen some that have gotten stale and had to be uh, broken up or shifted. So, but that tells you how important that pairing is uh, between a driver and a crew chief, that uh, reliability, uh, that trust, you know, and knowing what each other wants. So, We'll have to see how it all plays out, but like I said, I think the big gainer in it all, I would have to say, is Roush Fenway with uh, Luke Lambert. Yeah, I I have to agree. I think that the beneficiary of this whole thing is is Roush Fenway Racing getting Luke Lambert. Uh, Andy, you and I remember when Luke Lambert was uh, promoted to a crew chief with Jeff Burton a few years back, and uh, I was so excited uh, that he was going to be working with Jeff Burton because he was an engineer before that and a very, very smart engineer, and I think he's been a good crew chief. So uh, the 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 winner on that one is Rash Fenway Racing, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and it's probably a good matchup for uh, Tyler Reddick and, and his crew chief to be moving with him. Uh, I have no... Uh, problem with that necessarily uh, it's just sad for me to see Luke Lambert leave RCR uh, where he started and and to be moving to another organization even though I know that's what happens in a lot of these situations um, but I, I, I think it'll all work out in the end so Andy what are your thoughts yeah you know it's it's interesting you know to, to follow Luke certainly like you just mentioned um, you know he was promoted to crew chief back um, when we were Jeff Burton fans on the 31 car. This goes back to 2011 mid-season, um, and and actually, you know, kind of watched him help improve that team toward the end of the year. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, he w- he was moved over and and was Elliot Sadler's crew chief in the Xfinity Series in 2012, where they won several races and contended for the championship. Um, came back for Burton's final season, had success, and moved on subsequently Subsequently, with Newman. Um, and then, obviously, this year with Daniel Hemrick. So he's been with that team a long time, um, you know, had some success at times along the way. Um, certainly, you know, maybe doesn't have a lot of the wins, you know, that you'd think they would have had by now, but certainly a really smart, talented crew chief. Um, that maybe hasn't necessarily flourished in that role, uh, and maybe this new move, you know, in a new setting with a new driver will help him flourish. I think that he's got the um, the skill set to be a top-level uh, championship contending crew chief, always has, and um, sometimes, you know, things run their course, and uh, a new setting might really help him out. And I, I think that, um, you know, i certainly going to wish him the best and certainly – um, hoping that they have a successful year next year. That being said, just like what's already been said by both of you, I, I, I totally understand the move that, that RCR made to keep Randall Burnett with Tyler Reddick. It's been a great season for him in the Xfinity Series. They've won multiple races. Uh, they're on the verge of contending for a series title in the Xfinity Series 
Randall has prior cup experience with JTG Doherty racing. So um, if he's not a rookie crew chief to the cup series, he has prior experience and he has a, a certain, you know, knowledge level of Richard Childress racing where he's been, I think for two or three years now. So um, this is a logical move. I think that will help Tyler in his rookie cup season and ultimately a win-win, I believe for both organizations and for both drivers. And you got to think, just on a side note here, that uh, Ryan Newman might have had something to do with uh, 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 Lambert moving over to our uh, Rush anyway. Well, that's a good point. Um, That's a really good point. I mean, Lambert uh, had been Newman's crew chief from 14 through 18, actually. So, um, yeah, really good point. You know, those, those two certainly have an extensive history together. Yeah, so I, I get the feeling that uh, somebody whispered in somebody's ear that that might be a good move. I, I would have to think so. Again, I know Ryan Newman always spoke very, very highly of him uh, when they, when they were together. Okay. Jay, what's next on your list? Well, looking at jayski.com, let me pull this up here, uh, put up by Scott Page. It uh, looks like the front runner at Front Row Motorsports might now possibly be John Hunter Nemechek. Yeah, I saw that, Andy. Yeah, that's um, that's an intriguing development, really. Um, he did have a pretty good run uh, at Texas, um, given where that team has has performed. Um, you know, he was um he was the lead car with that organization I believe in his um in his cup debut. So um evidently they liked what they saw and uh now it's put him in the running to drive one of their cars next year. Um definitely an intriguing development. I'm not sure we've heard the status of the GMS Xfinity team, but there has been rumors of that car going away next year, so maybe this is you know, put John Hunter in a position where um, he, he's trying to get whatever whatever deal possible for 2020. Um, but yeah, I, that would be an, that would be an interesting uh, scenario if that plays out to where he would go drive for them next year. Because certainly uh, there's been other drivers rumored to to join that team next year. So it'll be, I guess, interesting to see how it plays out. But uh, certainly a bit surprising, I think, to see after just one Cup start um, him possibly driving the car full time next year. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well. John Hunter Nemechek did have a great race. He's filling in for Matt Tift, who's out on a medical leave. Front Row has gone on record to say that when Matt's ready to come back, they want to bring him back into their organization, uh, that he's not going to lose his seat there. Uh, So I think it's interesting after saying that, that now they're talking about bringing John Hunter Nemechek in full time for that ride. So I... The sources on this have been uh, have also stated that nothing's been signed. It's all been just a conversation and talk at this point. Uh, there's no signing yet, uh, so uh, this is not a done deal. So it's just speculation at this point. But uh, uh, I just think it's interesting after saying that they would hold the seat for Matt Tift uh, and keep him in that seat that now they're talking about bringing John Hunter in full-time next season. So interesting conversation is all I can say. 
Uh, your thoughts, Jay? Well, and it does uh, does also say they couldn't confirm as far as which car Nemechek would be piloting uh, next year. If you recall, mm-hmm. they also have the open seat that David Reagan is vacating. So um, when I look at that organization, uh, you talk about John Hunter Nemechek. I think he is a great talent. We have seen him grow in his year here in the Xfinity Series. And I had not heard even the, the rumor of, I guess, GMS uh, possibly going away from the Xfinity Series. But um, I think one thing that that organization looks at, and they talked about this with David Reagan, is of getting the most that they can out of that car or team with where they're at financially uh, and as a team, as an organization, but not tearing up cars. If that means only getting 15th to 20th, that driver getting 15th to 20th, but not trying to push for more and destroying a car because they can't afford to replace them or have multiple replaced. Mm -hmm. So from that aspect, I think John Hunter uh, does fit in that. And I think the fact that he comes from the background of of driving for the Nemechek uh, own team, um, that you saw him do that with the trucks, that that they were not the most uh, securely funded team and, and tearing up vehicles uh, just wasn't, wasn't allowed, you know, is what it comes down mm-hmm. to. But he still elevated that team to where he ran for a championship and was picking up wins. So um, I think from that aspect, it, it is a good move as far as John Hunter is a solid driver. Um, but we've also seen this in the past of even drivers that have been tearing it up, winning races, and moving up, moving up too fast. And that's where I see the other side of it of, again, this being John Hunter's debut. This was his first year rookie season in the Xfinity Series. Now, we saw him fill in some spots with Ganassi last year in a top ride and win a race. So we know he's capable. Um, So I wouldn't take that away from him. But I am a little concerned of, especially being that as young as he is and the lack of experience uh, moving him Mm -hmm. up to the cup level already. But like I said, I think for that organization, from that aspect of not tearing up equipment, it does make sense. Yeah. You know, one driver that kind of comes to mind, as we're talking about John Hunter Nemechek, is uh, I remember uh, Jamie McMurray, when he first came on the scene, he went out and won a race, and everybody thought he was, uh, you know, really hot and and uh, brought him in. They brought him into Chip Ganassi Racing, and then uh, he won some races, but it wasn't anything spectacular, I don't think, throughout his career. Uh, and you're right. It could be that they – they get all excited about things, and then things don't always uh, work out the way they kind of anticipate. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Okay, what's next on your list, Andy? Uh, I guess before we get into that, Sharon, did you want to do the uh, 10.30 mark? Oh, yeah, we might as well do the 10.30 mark now. Um we are coming up at the 10:30 mark, and uh, that means that we will be going off the air. But uh, we do continue talking, so we will continue recording the rest of that conversation, and that will be available on our podcast. Now, the podcast is available via all of the links that we already have posted out on social media, but. Uh, I will go out on Twitter as soon as we're finished with our conversation here tonight just to let people know that the podcast is available. Now, if you've listened up to this point, all you have to do is fast forward to the two-hour mark, 
and then you'll be able to hear the rest of the conversation. If you're listening on the podcast, it's going to be pretty seamless. And once the podcast is available, you'll be able to hear that podcast Again, via all the links we have posted on social media, as well as the player that we have posted at BAMPARacing.com. So I hope uh, that helps everybody. And uh, Andy, we'll get into your next topic. Yeah, just I wanted to follow up real quick on the Jump Hunter Nemechek thing, and then I'll get into the next topic. But um, you know, as happy as I would be for him to get into a cup car, I, I think a full year in Xfinity, another one would, would benefit him. So um, kind of a, a bittersweet scenario from my standpoint, certainly. But obviously, um, whatever he gets, you know, he, he's a very talented driver that deserves a, a full-time ride in one of the top three series. So hopefully, hopefully he'll get something nailed down, whatever that may be, for next year. Um, the next topic would be, uh, Riley Herbst was announced to drive the number 18 Toyota full-time for Joe Gibbs Racing in the Xfinity Series next year, um, completing, um, at least for the first time that I can think of in a while, they'll have three full-time drivers going for a championship uh, next year. You've got um, Harrison Burton with crew chief Ben Bishore in the 20 car, Brandon Jones and Jeff Meadering in the, uh, the 19 car, and um, Riley Herbst will actually have uh, veteran Dave Rogers as his crew chief in the 18 car full-time next year. So I kind of wondered what uh, everyone's thoughts were on that. Okay, Jay. Well, I'm surprised that this hasn't happened already, truthfully, uh, for Riley Herbst. Uh, I know he's been with the Joe Gibbs Racing on, on part-time schedules in the Xfinity um, trucks as well as ARCA. Um, I, I've been really surprised that he hasn't gotten that opportunity already to run full-time in the Xfinity Series. So I'm thrilled uh, to see that. There again, the crew chief shuffle, uh, I can't answer to that. It seemed a little odd that they made that many moves um, within that organization. But, uh, again, that, that pairing is crucial. So whatever reason they feel that the, the, that they line up that way, um, they got to do whatever they think is best for each driver coming in and whatnot, so I can't really comment to that, but I think they're all great crew chiefs, and uh, hopefully they all work out for the best for each driver that they've been assigned to, but super excited that Riley Herbs is getting the opportunity to go full-time. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Riley Herbst has been racing part-time in a lot of different places and doing a good job when he when he is racing. So uh, I, I, I'm happy that he's going to be in a full-time ride. I think that's the main thing, uh, that we're going to see him in a full-time ride and uh, be able to see him compete for a championship. Uh, and I think that'll be really, really good. He's been with Joe Gibbs Racing, like uh, Jay said, for a number of years through the Arca Menard Series and has been a Toyota Racing Development driver. So uh, just the, I, I think the main story here is that he's finally going to get that full-time ride, uh, where a lot of these drivers have been, uh, you know, having full-time rides in the truck series or full-time rides in the Xfinity series, uh, he has not. He's he's had to prove himself on a part-time schedule, and I think it's about time that he's in that full-time seat. So uh, as far as the crew chief lineup, 
Uh, I think, you know, there's probably a method to their madness, if you will. It does seem odd to to make so many changes, but uh, they must have had some internal conversations that have led to that that uh, makes sense from their point of view. So uh, I'm willing to watch it play out, and let's see how it works out for all three of those drivers uh, for next season. I think Brandon... I, I am happy to see Brandon Jones back in the Xfinity Series. I think he's coming into his own, and I think he can be a contender next year. Now that he's got that win under his belt, I think we'll see him contend for the championship next year, uh, along with possibly Riley and uh, Harrison Burton. They also made note that there is going to be a fourth car that will be available for drivers like Kyle Busch or Denny Hamlin to come down into this series. Uh, when they need to, so that's interesting as well. Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that was going to be my question: was if they would run a fourth car, which for their Cup drivers, which um, you know Kyle is still chasing win number one hundred in the Xfinity Series, so uh, mm-hmm. I'm yep, sure we'll to see go. them. <laughs> that's right. So I'm sure that we'll see um, a fourth car at times, but. You know, it's been a while since I can remember anyway that they've had three full-time drivers go for a championship. So that's certainly exciting, Um, you know, and obviously a great opportunity for Riley Herbst to get into a Joe Gibbs car. We know how good those cars are um, on a weekly basis, and certainly um, you'd have to think that he'll be a contender right away in the Xfinity Series. Um, As far as the crew chief changes go, I mean, to me, they, they make quite a bit of sense. Jason Ratcliffe um, with Christopher Bell move up to the Cup Series together. That makes sense. And, and Jason has extensive Cup experience. Um, Jeff Meadering is actually staying with Brandon Jones for a second year in a row. That team seemingly is getting better and better and, and gelling more and more. So that, that makes a lot of sense there. Harris Burton's Xfinity Series starts this year in the 18 car has come with Ben Bishore. So, you know, because they have a working relationship together, it makes sense to keep them together um, full-time on the 20 car. And then with Riley being the rookie, um, having a veteran like Dave Rogers lead that team makes a lot of sense too. So, um, you know, I I do kind of see where they they came from on on making those decisions, and I think that um, it'll probably lend itself to a lot of success next year. And I think it's also interesting that the next question that comes up is, you know, we always talk about there's no room at the end at Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, Now you've got three drivers in the Xfinity Series, and if they all contend for championships next year, which we don't know if that's going to happen, but it's likely, um, you know, where's the room at the end? Uh, Are we anticipating some retirements? And that's possible. It is, it is. That's looking at, yeah, it's looking uh, long-term down the road. Uh, you know, there could be a, p- a couple of possible retirements. Again, I think Toyota has to look at stepping up their cup numbers. Um, we saw the alliance this past year, and it's going to grow next year with uh, Levine Family Racing with the number 95. Um, again, I kind of thought maybe it would happen this year with keeping Matt Benedetto as well as bringing Christopher Bell in. But I think that you're going to need to see a couple more Toyota teams, whether it be through other single-car teams um, and making that alliance with Joe Gibbs. But not to say that 
their method hasn't worked. We see that they have multiple Toyotas going for the championship. So, you know, if that's their goal is to stick with the five, six uh, that they have. Um, But I would think at least one or two more, especially the amount of um, resources they put into the development program. If they want to keep these drivers all the way through up to the cup level, they have to expand. Because like you said, they're, they're running out of room at the cup level and there's some that are coming that are certainly capable of getting there within a year or two. Um, so yeah, have to have to keep an eye on that. Um, you talked about the uh, the fourth car there uh, as far as for Joe Gibbs, and I know they haven't run the full three full time in a while. I think Junior Motorsports is the only one this past year that that has that doesn't have the room for the Cup drivers. All your other organization, Penske, still have that capability of bringing a Cup driver down. And I think that Joe Gibbs is one of those that realizes that, and we've talked to multiple drivers of that. Fans may not like it, but the drivers do. If they're teammates with a team yeah. like that, where Kyle Busch comes down, they learn from that. Other drivers on the track follow Kyle Busch, you know, or talk to him in the garage area. They learn from it. So I think it's important that they have that opportunity still with having a four spot, and whether it be on a biweekly or, you know, once every a month or so that they do bring a cup driver down Again, I think it helps those young drivers and helps the organization. Definitely. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. You know, and I think that any, especially, um, you know, three young drivers like that, you know, anytime that you can bring a cup driver in and, um, you know, help evaluate the equipment and compete against, you know, those young drivers, it's only going to help them evolve throughout the course of the year. So, um, I think you'll probably see that at some point. And then, you know, with regards to expansion, you know, I think that, you know, there'll be a couple scenarios that play out. You may see Levine Family Racing add a team possibly in the near future um, in the Cup Series. And kind of like what Furniture Road did for Eric Jones back in 2017. And and then you got to also look at impending retirements. I think that, you know, if you look at the ages of, of Truex and Hamlin, they they don't have t- they don't have ten years left. They they might even they might not even have five years left. You know, so um, there'll be some changes within that team probably within the next two to three seasons, and you know that'll certainly create room for you know guys like Harrison Burton and you know and others to make their way up. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think you guys uh, all made uh, excellent points there. Okay, I think, Jay, I've lost track. Is it your turn for the next topic? <laughs> yeah, I got one last one here that I got uh, as far as a solid topic to talk about, and that's the Canon, what is now the Canon Pro Series, now going to be the 2020 Arkham Menard Series East um, with their schedule. And I know it was talked about when it first came out. I was a little disappointed to see that it, the East Series alone is only going to be seven races. I I know they said it was going to be get cut down a little bit. I was hoping it wouldn't get cut that short. Um, eight to ten would have been my primary uh, goal. I think ten is a good solid number, but um, to see only seven, a uh, little disappointed in that, but the, the way the schedule lays out, I do like the tracks. Again, we talked about Five Flags Speedway um, getting a race as part of the Arkham Menards series. Uh, in this case, it'll be the East. The wrap-up of that schedule, I'm sorry, the the showdown, the final showdown race is going to be at Memphis International, so that one will include the full ARCA series. I really like that. Um, 
again, I hope to see either the Xfinity or trucks back there. I know they're working on that at uh, Memphis International Raceway. So uh, overall, I do like it. Again, like I said, I was just a little disappointed to see it only be seven races for the east side. Uh, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I have to agree. Um, anytime you see, you know, a decrease in the in the schedule, it, it's um, a little disappointing. I haven't looked at the full schedules yet for the for any of the ARCA divisions next year, but um, you know, I, I think that um, I definitely noticed a reduction on the east side because uh, they used to visit New Hampshire twice, and they're only going to go there once next year. Um, and that's in September, and which is actually, I believe, the season finale for the East Series. So um, it definitely looks like they took out, you know, a couple, three races from, from where the schedule was this year. So anytime you see that, um, it is disappointing. But at the same time, um, you know, it, um, it may, it may um, maybe provide some strength, I guess, to the series if they run fewer races. You know, maybe the teams that can come out and be more competitive, I guess you could say. Not 100% sure about that, but, you know, I, I have to think that with any change that's made, the, there's going to be some positive in it somewhere. So, um, you know, hard to say exactly what this reduction will do, but, you know, hopefully it's a positive change for the series. And hopefully, you know, it it adds to the overall um, plan for the, the ARCA series for next year. Okay, I, I guess I'm looking at this a little bit differently than than you guys are looking at it. To me, it seems like they've increased the schedule because they, they do have seven races for the ARCA Series E schedule, but what they've not done in the past is they've not had the showdown schedule under the ARCA Menards umbrella. They're being encouraged to also race in those ten showdown races to compete for that title as well. So they can win a they can win a championship on the seven races that are part of the East, and there'll probably be six or seven races that'll be on the West, and and they'll be able to compete um, for their own West title as well. But they'll also be racing those showdown races. So if they want to if they want to compete for the title as part of that showdown, keep in mind too that part of the thought process here is to try to keep this as competitive as possible for these uh, existing teams to be able to make that transition under the new format uh, with the showdown schedule. So they they don't want to have too many races on the east side knowing that they also have the 10 races on the showdown side. So I think the expectation is that the top teams, maybe not all of the teams, because not all the teams are going to be able to afford to race, and and maybe I'm wrong on that, but I'm thinking some of the teams might not be able to afford to race all ten showdown races. But when you look at it as the seven races plus the ten showdown races, it's actually more races than what they have on the schedule this year. So, And there's two championships at stake here. So I think they pare it down on the east and the west to keep it competitive and cost-effective for the teams that are going to be racing for those championships, but they also leave it open for the teams that have the funding and are able to do it to also race those 10 showdown races. So that's how I'm looking at it. Any thoughts in follow-up? 
I, I, I do see that where you're looking at it as now a 17 race. But, again, I don't think all of the teams are going to be able to do that. Now, I do like what Andy said was bringing it down Which to I think the okay. seven. The, right. And the, and the seven races, you might see more teams that say can say, hey, we couldn't afford to run all 11 races that were on the schedule last year. With only seven, mm-hmm. they might be able to do, do that. So the east side in and of itself might become stronger and more competitive, like you said. Those top teams, uh, you know, from the east side, we'd look at DGR Crosley, Rev Racing as to that, I would say, and GMS with uh, Sam Merrim, most certain would be one of them, that probably will participate in the showdown, as well as then from the west, uh, Bill McAnally, as well as uh, Brucati Motorsports. I think those 10 showdown races, you're only going to see the top few teams maybe that compete in all of them. And now there might be some teams, like you said, that, at least do the seven on the east and then pick and choose some of the showdown races to attempt or go to. So from that aspect, it is, you're, you know, if you're looking at it as a 17 and it's two different championships. Um, so that again, opens that opportunity um, up a little bit. The only thing is, is with the showdown races, you're also competing then with the top full up ARCA series. So that makes Which it a little think- more difficult you know, and what you're looking at as far as the competition and picking and choosing versus maybe all of them. Okay. Andy, your thoughts before I step in again? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's an, that's an interesting point, you know, Sharon, that you make about there, there being the showdown races. And, you know, it would seem that maybe it's just an allocation of, of races elsewhere. So um, I, I'm intrigued by the ARCA series you know, the East West and, and, you know, the main series uh, for 2020. And I'm interested to see how it plays out. So um, I think that um, it's an interesting merger. I think it's one that has the potential to really help grow the regional touring series for NASCAR. And, you know, I am, I am excited to see what, what that whole um, conglomerate looks like for 2020. Yeah, you bring up a good point, too, because we can speculate what we think might happen, but when it comes down to the dollars and cents and what the team decisions are going to be in the end, uh, we won't know that until it, it kind of plays out. So I'm I'm kind of curious about that as well. But uh, I think it's good that you were asking these uh, Canon Pro Series drivers to uh, race some of these showdown races because – uh, just like we were talking about with the upper series um, drivers racing in some of the lower tier series, uh, the drivers like it because they're learning. And this gives them a chance to race on some of these other tracks. Uh, there's a road course in here. Uh, you know, th- there's yep. a couple of road courses, in fact. So they're getting some, some really good experience on, uh, on some bigger tracks that I think is going to be uh, a developmental opportunity for the K&N Pro Series drivers uh, before they make that step up into the truck series. So I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good development move. Well, and it, and I don't know for sure under the showdown races, I know we talked about the engine package and, and the fact that it was more towards the uh, K&N or the east-west packages. Um, but like you said, with the mm-hmm. tracks that they're going to get exposure to, as well as then racing uh, with the, the top drivers of the ARCA series, 
as well mm-hmm. as I had a thought there and I lost it. Um, oh, whether or not they're going to utilize pit stops then, because the East and the West have always mm-hmm. done the um, controlled pit stops or stay breaks, if you will, versus the Arkham Menard series actually has pit stops. So that'll be interesting because that'll be, as we've talked about in the past, of, of that first opportunity to run under uh, pit stops, which is part of their development. So from the development side of it, uh, you're right. I do think it is a good thing. Yeah, because that's been one of the biggest things that we've heard about from drivers as far as making the transition into the truck series or even the Xfinity series is learning how to do the the pit stops because that's something totally foreign to them coming directly from the Can-Am Pro Series. So, yeah, I see it as a good development move. Andy? Did you have anything more to say, or did you have another topic that you wanted to get in here? I don't, actually. I've covered, I think, the big news of the week so far. (laughs) Okay. And I don't have anything. So, Jay? Well, uh, my last one then, I guess, would be, and I know it's still a question, I guess, of where does Cole Custer go? Now, I heard heard today on one of the programs (laughs) – that go fast racing, even with the announcement of the Stuart Haas Racing Alliance, that they said Cole Custer is not in their plans. If John Hunter Nemechek is now possibly going to front row, uh, that eliminates some possibilities there. Uh, what's the future of Cole Custer hold? Andy? Well, I don't know. Um, you know, there's been a lot of speculation in. You know, I know we've done our own behind-the-scenes speculation. Um, i, I got to believe they know exactly what he's going to do, and I, I think you'll find he knows what he's going to do for next year. But I, I, and I, I think the same with Briscoe. It's interesting that neither one of those drivers has said what they're going to do for 2020. Um, but I think that I think you'll find that their focus is to, to go try to win a championship, and then once the dust settles from that, whatever the result may be, I think that the 2020 picture will become a lot clearer, um, you know, and also to to throw, you know, into that story as well, which is connected, is, is Soros hasn't signed anything either mm-hmm. for next year. So I think that that leaves the question of what does SHR's Xfinity program look like? What does the 32 car look like? What does the 41 car look like? Still a lot of unanswered questions really, Um I just the only thing I can really say about it is it would be a, it would be a crying shame to not see Cole Custer in a Cup car uh, because that would be one heck of a rookie class between Custer Bell and Reddick for 2020. So I really hope that you know they can put something together whether it's it's the 32 or the 41 or whatever the case may be. But I, I hope that I hope we see Cole in a Cup car. I think it'd be a really fun rookie class to watch. I, I totally agree. And and I see it as it means one of two things. Either uh, maybe they're looking at Daniel Suarez in that car, which would leave the car, the 41, open for uh, Cole Custer. And by that car, I'm talking about the go-fast racing car. Um, since they're not looking at Cole Custer, then maybe they're looking at, at uh, Daniel Suarez. Or two, uh, they're looking at somebody that hasn't crossed our radar yet, <laughs> 
and uh, maybe they're thinking of leaving Cole Custer because in the in the uh, press release that S. Stewart Haas Racing originally put out, there was a statement in there that uh, there one possibility was that Cole Custer would race the Xfinity Series for another year. I personally, I wouldn't be opposed to it necessarily. But I wish he would be a part of that rookie class. I want him to be a part of that rookie class with Christopher Bell and Tyler Ruddick uh, in the Cup Series. I think it would be a shame for him not to be there. If he does stay in the Xfinity Series, then I think the Xfinity Series benefits the most, uh, having Cole Custer remain in that series for another year. Uh, That's the only thing that I kind of get hung up on sometimes as I remember that comment in their press release saying that he could end up staying in the Xfinity Series another year. So if that happens, uh, it happens, and and we'll all deal with it. But I, I would be highly disappointed that he would not be a part of that uh, rookie season. But I think it's also possible that they might be looking at that go-fast racing seat for, for uh, Daniel Suarez, which I think would be a shame for Daniel Suarez because – I I think he's uh, definitely showing signs of, of some real improvement at Stuart Haas Racing, and I would like to see him have another year in that car. So either way, I'm disappointed, but I think that's the only two scenarios uh, that come to my mind at this point uh, based on the information that we have. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, you brought, brought up an interesting one, the fact that, that, that if they weren't into or weren't looking at Cole Custer, that it may be Daniel Suarez, and that would open that seat at Stuart Haas for Cole Custer. So um, that gives me a little bit more hope. I was kind of uh, – I'm with you guys. I would like to see Cole. I think he is ready to be in the Cup Series. I would like to see him part of that rookie class that he's been running with with Tyler Reddick and Christopher Bell. But not only this statement in this past press release, but a one a couple of weeks ago that we talked about that said – um, you know, bringing him up the following year in 2021 when the next-gen car comes out so that it's not learning a new car two years in a row uh, might be the best mm-hmm. for him. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, my, my hope is him getting a into a cup times. ride. <laughs> yeah, I, and that's it's leading me to believe that, you know, he might be in the Xfinity for one more year. I, I don't think he needs it, but like you said, it certainly does benefit the Xfinity series, so... Um, we'll have to wait and see, but yeah, I haven't heard anything more, uh, commented on that, but, uh, the hope, the hope is dimming, I guess, if you will. Yeah. And, and when you look at the reasoning, I think the reasoning makes sense too. not having to learn two different cars, uh, and just bringing him up there to learn the one car. I think that's smart in, in a lot of respects as well. Andy, anything more on your end? Well, you know, to speak to, you know, go fast car. I know that you know. At first glance, it it would be apprehensive to see, you know, a driver go in there. But honestly, that's a that's a small team that really hasn't done a bad job given the resources. And and honestly, with their technical alliance with SHR, it's about to get considerably better. Even if it, even if it's just chassis and cars, um, I think. You know, I, I feel like Corey LaJoy's done a really nice job in that car, and maybe he's under consideration to return, you know. Um, but he, I had read an article where they've been they've been utilizing three- and four-year-old front-row motorsports cars 
So for them to automatically get, you know, possibly one-year-old SHR cars is already a vast improvement for that team for next year. You know, and if they if they work it to where it's a deal similar to what Joe Gibbs Racing is going to do with Levine Family Racing, you know, that might really not be a bad scenario for either Custer or Soares if they're receiving essentially, you know, SHR cars with SHR personnel, you know, having a heavy heavy influence on it. So, um, you know, that that really might turn into a that, – that could easily be an eye-opening car next year. And I think that even just, you know, uh, receiving SHR cars alone is going to be a huge improvement for that team no matter who drives it. Yeah, that's true, uh, but I just I just don't think I think Daniel Suarez and Cole Custer have paid their dues to be in in top tier equipment. I really do. Okay. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree, and, and like you said, if 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 Custer moving into that ride comes at the expense of Suarez, you hate to see that. If Custer doesn't get to come up to the Cup Series, you hate to see that. So it, it, they're in a really tough position. Um, I would like to see it where that they do elevate go fast racing that becomes a very solid um, alliance team with them. And either one of the drivers, if that's who goes into it um, can still flourish there as we've seen them grow or in Custer's case, uh, begin his career. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yep. I guess we will. <laughs> okay. Anything else on the docket before we say good night? I, don't think I got so. nothing else. Okay. Okay, well, then let's go ahead and do our roundtable. Uh, Andy, we'll start with you. All right, for me, uh, Alasky14 on Twitter, and um, certainly looking forward to um, all three series at Phoenix this weekend, and uh, looking forward to finding out who's going to go for those championships next week. It should be fun. Jay? Should be indeed. Uh, you can follow me at MoparMJ. Eight on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Michael Hoosman at Facebook. I know I got a couple of possibilities of going to some dirt track races this weekend, but the cold temperatures and that darn precip- precipitation thing uh, could hamper that. So I don't know if either one. Of you, I think one. I think Andy maybe watched it. You might see me feeding ducks too. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter and Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere. Uh, just to plug our earlier uh, part of the show, we did have Davey Seagal on the show the, earlier uh, during the first half hour. He gave us a really good uh, preview for the Canon Pro Series uh, season finale and some of his thoughts about going into that season finale at ISM Raceway at Phoenix. But he also gave us... Uh, Uh, some really nice information about how he got started uh, doing what he's doing and some advice for anybody else who's looking to do that. So uh, a good interview, and I'm looking, uh, you know, if anybody wants to go back and listen to that, it is during that first half hour. Um, Next week we do have, uh, for Monday night's show, I know Dylan Lupton, who's going to be racing the truck series for both the – uh, ISM Raceway and Homestead uh, We'll have him on the show Monday night So uh, I don't have the other things booked yet Because I'm hoping to get Maybe some winners from this weekend uh, And maybe our series champion From the k West 
on the show for Monday night, so trying to kind of hold those spots open. So with that, uh, I... I uh, I'm looking forward to the weekend of racing. I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate each and every one of you, whether you're listening live or to the podcast afterwards. Uh, Enjoy your race weekend, everybody. And, guys, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. Have a good night. Have a good night and enjoy the weekend. Good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.